This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that would very much be looking forward to another trip to Wembley if it hadn't been for that pesky pandemic. Anyway, in what should have been billed as the unbeatable in pursuit of the uneatable, Chelsea's foxhounds were almost pressed into submission by Leicester's foxes in the first half of the FA Cup quarterfinal on Saturday. Thankfully, Frank Lampard had the ruthlessness to give the team a rocket at half-time and hook Mason Mount, Rhys James and Billy Gilmore, who were by, by no means the worst offenders. With the arrival of Ross Barkley, Kovacic and Captain Aspilicueta, the urgency Frank demanded returned and Chelsea did to Leicester what they had done to Chelsea in the second half. Barkley, in a strange curate's egg of a performance, scored a sumptuous winner to take Chelsea to their 10th FA Cup semi-final in the last, in the last 19 seasons. Uh, with the chance of winning the FA Cup in the 50th anniversary uh, since Chelsea first won it, still alive, it's been a good week for Chelsea with arguably their biggest and most important win of the season against Man City on Wednesday. Shame it handed the title to Liverpool, of course. But more important, fourth place looks more secure and maybe third or even second is not out of reach. Uh, and the title of tonight's show is Urgency, Chelsea Fancast number 511. And on tonight's show, uh, a glittering array of Chelsea fancasters. First and foremost, of course, Mr Jonathan Kidd, who I'm delighted to say is fully clothed this week. I'm wearing a, a Jose Mourinho T-shirt, in fact. Uh, not because I want him back with the club, just because I have several. I foolishly bought them at a period where I was rather fond of him. But um, yes, lovely to be back. Um, uh, and uh, it's a bit nippier, actually. So I think it would have been uh, it would have been more difficult to be naked uh, tonight as opposed to last week because it has got slightly uh, chillier. Whereas last week it was great. I loved it. I love getting the kid. Yeah. Yeah. You picked a good week to, <laughs> to, to, to disrobe, mate. Now, uh, next uh, on the list, of course, is the 
ever so lovely and wonderful Mr. Clayton Beerman. Mr. B, how are you? I'm very well. Looking forward to tonight immensely. Yes, I thought been a you... wonderful couple of days football. It has, yeah. We, it's been a good week, as I, as I was saying in the intro. I'm looking forward, really looking forward to getting into it tonight. Pack show ahead, people. Uh, last but by no means least, as Jonathan and I were discussing, the absolute legend that is Joe Tweeds is with us tonight. Joe, great to have you back to talk about some proper football, mate. Yeah, it feels like it's uh, it's been a lot longer than it has been, but uh, yeah, looking forward to tonight immensely. Yeah, we've got loads to talk about. As I said, I mean, it really is a bumper-bumper show tonight. Um, and on it, uh, we're going to ask why the poor start against Leicester. Uh, we applaud Frank Lampard for sorting it out and ponder whether Kovacic should start every match, discuss the enigma that is Barkley, and look forward to a semi against Man United. Couldn't resist. Sorry, put you people. Who uh... uh, In part three, because that's parts one and two sorted. So in part three... <laughs> We look back at the City match uh, last Wednesday. A massive, massive win for Chelsea. Uh, We discuss Pulisic uh, making Chelsea great again. Uh, Lampard's developing tactical nous. And also, we look ahead to the midweek match against West Ham. And in part four, as we always do, we're going to wrap up with your emails, of which there are quite a few tonight. And of course, as ever, don't forget you can listen to the show live every Monday at 7 o'clock by going to Mixler, which is M-I-X-L-R dot com forward slash chelsea hyphen fancast where you can join in all the chat by posting on the live chat page which so many of you do we've got a, a load of a load of peeps in here tonight of course uh who have we got in the house tonight we've got chrism 23 paul laflame these are quite new people actually so it's good to see you in here kepler 4b he's a regular planet earth is blue as is planet earth is blue andrew self keep the blue flag flying in north rob coombe Oh, Claire, the lovely Claire McConnell is there. And, of course, Bob Usray. Bobby's a fixture in Mixler. Uh, Billy Billy Shears Blue, Adam F, Drink Vodka, Freddie, Michael Gibbon, Tuba 4, Nobby Steelers, Tommy Hayes, Benji Toe, Rohan Krishnan. I mean, there's so... Monyaki, Jonathan Perez. Jonathan hey. Perez is in here tonight. Woo, See, woo, woo. We, I mean, just, sorry, quick tangential aside. In the 50 Years of Chelsea series that we're doing at the moment covering every season from 1970. Jonathan Perez has been getting a mention every week because Jonathan used to sit with him in the East Stand. So it's good to actually see him in Mixler as well. Yaren, I mean, I could go on all night. Uh, I won't, but it's so lovely to see so many of you in there. Uh, Very brilliant of you for doing so. Now, um, the other thing, of course, you can always follow us on Twitter. Uh, Always quite fun to engage with you there. So at Chelsea Fancast on Twitter and Instagram, of course. Uh, And we're on Facebook and all the other usual stuff. So there you go. Right, now, after this very small break, we'll be getting our teeth into the football. Righty, righty, righty. Well, I mean, you know, <clears throat> bizarre. I mean, if ever there was a game of two halves, um, uh, Sunday afternoon was it. Um, was a bit of a piss poor start, Jonathan. I mean, let's not talk about the beating obvious. I think I want to ask a question, you know, because I think we we do forget. I mean, there's been a lot of argument about this on Twitter, actually. But I mean, I, I would be prepared to be a little bit 
more forgiving because it's very, very weird circumstances having had three months off and now playing two games every week. I mean, none of you know, playing two games a week is not unusual in mid season, but coming back into this, I'm just thinking I, I'd be a bit more forgiving. But I wonder if it's rustiness, if it's just a lack of form, which can happen, or if it's attitude. <laughs> Or was it the team selection? But, you know, they were really just not at the races at all for the they, first half I felt an hour. That, 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 um, the, I looked at the time. I thought that Leicester came out like complete they did. Um, madmen. And I actually thought they can't keep this going. And I thought, I don't actually, if they score once, we'll still turn it around in the second half where, if Frank makes some changes. Because the, the pace, which is what, in fact, Rogers mentioned that uh, at the end of the game. He said, we... We, we felt that they played badly because of the way that we played. And I think that was a high percentage of that. I just think that that um, the players he had out could not deal with it. They couldn't deal with it. And I, for whatever reason, whether, in fact, Frank has worked out in training, that indeed the, the pace of all these games um, without... Um, I mean, what doesn't... What, one of the things we haven't talked about in, in this, in the lockdown setup is... Um, the referees seem to be having a much easier time of it um, because there doesn't seem to be the same disputing with refs or people aren't the home team, the home fans aren't siding with um, the players, the home players or trying to get players sent off or, or even slowing the game down, which I think home fans can't help but do because there's always, they're always observing things or just making comments. I don't know. The, the pace of the game seems to be to me much, much quicker than we see when we're watching, I mean, it's quick anyway. We're watching games with with crowds in them. But regardless of that, the Leicester came out of the traps. Like, uh, I mean, it was just absolutely in your face, you know. And and good luck to them. The problem they've got is they can't score. And it became absolutely obvious that Vardy, who I think used to, used to think was fantastic, was really just you know he's not got his shooting boots on. Well, that that could that could be Matt Sharpness. You said go goes back to the point it, that I was back, saying. Indeed, yeah. indeed. It could very well be. But we we then proceeded to exhibit, unfortunately, the same errors that we seem to be exhibiting, uh, exhibited all season. This inability to deal with whipped in crosses and also make giving fouls away in that position where the ball can be whipped in across. And the, they, I mean, they had about four chances. If we'd been four nil down, it wouldn't have been any no. surprise. Well, I'll t- tell you what, actually, to, to, talking about the whipped in crosses, I also thought, Clayton, that um it's interesting actually because i didn't i mean obviously I'm, I'm fairly scant with what i put in the in the running order and stuff but you know i made quite a lot of notes watching the game and it was quite amazing how many times they cut in on our right hand side i mean we were getting rinsed uh you know and that kind of right hand side of uh i think it was um was it was it william mount and um and reese james or was it? It was Pulisic. It's Emerson, the other side, it's Emerson. I think oh, it might be. Right. Yeah, oh, but anyway, right yeah, whatever. The bottom line was they were cutting through us like a knife through butter in the first twenty minutes. And Jonathan's right; they could have been three or four up. Well, they should have been. I yeah. mean, it, it was it was an appalling start. I mean, one of the things about the way that everything has changed is this drinks break, and I think the drinks break in the first half actually probably saved us because we were just without direction. We were rudderless. You're quite right. Um, I think I can understand that the sort of, we'll come on to substitutions, but I think that Reese in his cameo uh, against Villa, who just gave the ball away. And then um, whilst Jonathan is right, that they did come out of the blocks, 
it shouldn't actually have affected Reese and Reese's position. And and he was getting they were playing the ball behind him. It was obviously a tactic. And I I, I you have to take your hat off to Brendan because tactically they they were really primed uh, and they did come and, and and had they had their shooting boots on they they would have won the tie in the first twenty minutes, but they didn't. Um, I don't know. It's it, it's impossible to to tell why we we were so bad. Now, I mean, one of the things could be that you change three of the four defenders, but that shouldn't really... I think it was the midfield that was the problem. Although it's on with. paper a good midfield. Yeah, I mean, we looked at the side and thought, yeah, I like that, yeah. that's good. Um, but it was just, I don't know. And I, I think that Billy being so young, once things weren't going well for him, he just got a bit flustered and, and everything he tried to do... Um, didn't come off so it was it was just extraordinarily bad yeah I, I that's a really good point about billy gilmore who of course as you know i love i absolutely we love, all love him. i love him we to pieces him. but i i think that that can happen joe can't it because i think i i mean and i would I, I wouldn't say he lost his head i just think for example let's take a military analogy here joe if if if, if you get you know bum rushed by a load of guys you know a load of soldiers or whatever it's chaos and you you just you do lose the plot you can't make you know clear cold cut decisions because you don't have any time on the ball because they're coming at you all the time and it it, it kind of it, i had a sense that that was more of the problem but but there you go i mean i'd love to hear what you think about the, the opening bit but of course frank did sort it out second half so let's get into a bit of that too mate yeah, I mean, I think the, the first half, I think Clayton alluded to, to what I was thinking, that the, the midfield composition for me was was the biggest issue that we had. Is, as much as Billy Gilmore was an incredibly talented player, I don't think he, at the moment, is, is one of these more kind of eight or box-to-box type players. A lot of his good work when he's played has been him sitting in front of a back four, dictating play, having a little bit more time on the ball to play passes, moving him 10 metres further forward. You know, all of a sudden you're, you're under this immense pressure from from uh, Leicester, Tielemans and all these sorts of players around you. And I just don't think really that, you know, dropping him into this game sort of first real minutes or real sort of significant start for him, the, the tempo, I think, sort of caught him a little bit unaware. And as much as I love Kante being uh, in a slightly more withdrawn position, I think, again, that it's, at least for Chelsea, playing in a three and playing as the lone holding player, it's not something we've, we've seen him do with any regularity. Possibly the the fourth game that he's done it for us in his career, he played there just by himself. So you've got a player playing in unfamiliar positions. You've got Kante, uh, yeah, slightly unfamiliar positions. Gilmore, I think probably was, yeah, I mean, not, certainly not his best game. I don't think he's going to be playing there going forward. Um, and I think Mason Mount just looked tired. You know, he's, he played uh, full game against Villa, where I thought it was fantastic. Massive defensive shift against City as well. Yeah, and then you've got you know, the complete sort of middle of the pitch, the engine of the team. Um, to me, just looked like it didn't wasn't really functioning. I think Reese James, you know, he, for for sort of you know people's knowledge, he came back to training a lot later than everyone else. So he's probably in terms of fitness two weeks behind the rest of the team. So why he's he's featuring as heavily as he is at the moment? A little bit unsure at the moment because for me, he's someone that has to be close to sort of physical top of his physical condition to be effective. So much of his game is based on his strength and his his, his ability to get up and down. And if he's not near that. You know, I think we saw them getting in behind him quite easily, which isn't something you really associate with him normally. So I think mm-hmm. Leicester were just were just fully on top. And as you say, the, the changes in the second half, I think Ross Barkley coming back into the, the side, you know, this is a guy that I think you just you have to commend his just immense physical conditioning. He's one of the, the most fittest and athletic players I think that I've seen. It's just like he's just has some natural fitness because he hasn't really lost lost a step 
than the Everton game. Um, you know, I think we'll probably talk about him in a little bit more detail. And, you know, we, we kind of saw the best will. and the worst of him in 45 minutes. But I do think that he he really changed the game with his, with his energy. Aspilagueta came on and, and had an absolute storming game at right back. Phenomenal, and, uh, phenomenal performance. Yeah. yeah. And then Kovacic was, you know, the, the, the player that we, we all kind of know oh. that he is. He can come on and control <clears throat> those big games. So the changes for me made sense. I think we just needed to run the midfield more. I think as soon as we got control of the midfield, Kante felt a bit more comfortable uh, with Kovacic beside him and Barkley. Um, we, we competed with them a bit more physically as well with those two players. And then once that happened, I think the pace settled down. And then I thought the second half, we probably were the only team that were going to go and win were, that. I think they were a bit knackered. I really don't think you yeah, can they were 100%, maintain, yeah. that, maintain that that passion, that com- competitive spirit that they had. And, and aside, so there was always that feeling to me that if they didn't score or they scored one, we would win it. I just felt because they they, they couldn't sustain that. You can't keep it. Going. Yeah, there was a huge drop off in their their pressing and their overall game second yeah. half. Um, and then again, if you're bringing on Barkley and Kovacic, two very physical physical competitive players, I think that they they just couldn't compete with them in the second and, half. And they've not played full ninety minutes so far, having come back. And of course, I think I think I mean Mount's played every game this season. Although of yeah. course they've had three months off, so it all makes it a bit weird. But I think the more pertinent point is that they'd played City, and Frank made this point too. They played City last week, and you probably have to expend more energy playing City than any other oh, team because of the way they play the ball. Clayton, yeah. you had your hand up. I feel indebted to you for doing that. <laughs> Therefore, we'll pass the. I shall pass the talking stick to you, literally and metaphorically. Do you do you not think that this and um, the Villa game showed how ludicrous football coming back is because it's just not fair. Go on. Um, one, the subs. The subs. Yeah. You know, we made three subs at half time. I mean, I know we're going to talk about Frank, but that, that, that for me was Frank showing who's in the Mourinho. That was no mercy. That was, this yeah, ain't working. Agree, I'm bringing we could have made three on. more, of course, didn't we? we of course he could. There'd been the extra um, time. The fact that Leicester were in a cup quarter final and had no crowd. Obviously, we didn't have a crowd either, but I think our own crowd. I mean, all four ties, all away wins. Yeah. And and just basically, the I mean, yes, if you've got a better squad, and we have got a better squad than Leicester. But interestingly, the way that we could use more substitutes... I mean, it's just inherently unfair. It's it's not the same playing field. This should be a separate season. And I suppose it's fair in terms of the teams that were left in the FA Cup because everybody plays under the same rules. But we have benefited. We've benefited from, in my opinion, uh, an uneven playing field. Well, you, you could say that, but you also could say I that, did. well... Well, indeed, you did. You could. It's like a Monty Python sassy over there. You, you, oh yes. You, you could. You could also say that. Well, um, in a sense, it's also fair because that means the best sides win. You know, there's no, there's no twelfth man with the crowd. There's no twelfth man influencing the referee to make stupid decisions. So, you know, the best eleven players on the pitch on that in that match are going to win the game. You could say that, and I, 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 did. I agree. I, <laughs> I, I I agree to a certain extent, but you know you are now playing football on on a different scale. You're not playing it as it was played at the beginning of the season. Now I'm not complaining because obviously it's great. Uh, you know, Brendan was saying, "Well, look, they bring on three internationals." Um, 
And it is good. And, and, and I think that what's going to happen is next season that they will introduce five subs uh, because I think it's going to be hard to, to sort of draw that back. And the drinks um, break will become an ad break. Well, yeah. that's exactly right. I mean, that, that's very American. Yeah. I mean, I do think that drinks break. I mean, Point we benefited is. from the one in the first half and, and didn't from the one in the second half. And it, it's, it's quite interesting how the momentum shifts when the managers get hold of the teams during those drinks break. It's mm, a good point, mate. Let's talk about uh, the young. I mean, you know, it's really interesting. And everybody, we all, we've all, we all saw it. Frank saw it too. The midfield was getting absolutely overrun, um, and he, 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 you know, he effectively he took off the weakest links in the team therein. So poor old uh, Billy Gilmore and Mason Mount got hooked. Um, as did Reese James, who, as we said, is is just not up to scratch or speed yet, or call it what you will. There was a lot of conjecture about, oh dear, you know, young kids, a bit harsh on them, yada, yada, yada. There's also a brilliant article that I've read. I think it was uh, Phil McNulty and the Beeb uh, and others too saying, you know, this is really good. This, this your Frank, Frank, Frank Rampart. You've gone a bit Chinese there. Uh, anyway. You're allowed to do that, Chidge. I know. Well, look, I, it was kind of, that's a historical joke that we did before times were PC back in 2000. And I think it was actually eight. Did we not go? And I'm not going to get into this anyway. Frank <laughs> Lampard, Frank Lampard. I'm so easy to distract, aren't I? You know, it's like, oh, here's a lump of cheese, Chidge. Off you go. Uh, anyway, yeah, Frank Lampard um, has got some balls. He's he's got some steel. He's a winner, and it's about winning. And if you're not putting it in, Joe, he's going to haul you off. Yeah, I mean, I think this this notion that uh, you know, Lampard will will kind of incessantly play academy players until sort of, you know, they can't run anymore. It's, it's probably a little bit kind of far-fetched. I mean, you've seen immediately now that we have the capacity to go and buy in the transfer market. We, we've added two fantastic players already in terms of the, in terms of the quality there. And I do generally think that Lampard is probably more than most picking players on on based on merit. I think that there are some instances where, yeah, I think he's he's trying to sort of engineer minutes for the likes of Rhys James and, and probably Billy Gilmore where he sees fit. Um but, you know, this, this is kind of the, the management style that I think he's going to bring in. I remember him a long, long time ago saying, you know, that this wasn't a youth club or he used some sort of terminology. You know, he wasn't just doing this for, for the sake of it. The young players that are playing, he feels are playing on merit. I think as long as that continues, then I think that the, the players will respect it. When You know, when they've had bad games and are being taken off, it's a little bit different in the past when maybe some youngsters who, you know, know that this is their one and only ever opportunity to shine playing in 10 minutes, yeah. maybe get dragged off. I think it's a little bit different now that they have slightly different relationship with Lampard, with Morris, with Joe Edwards. Um, you know, there's a lot more trust there. And, you know, if, if they have been brought off, then if, I think it's more of a learning experience than in the past. It might have been sort of slightly more crippling to their, their kind of development to, to have been dragged off at half-time, you know, in their only chance. Joe, he'd be aware, wouldn't he, that he wasn't playing well enough? Yeah, you, I think so as well. Yeah. I think he will have accepted that. You just know. But I, at that point you made about, in fact, of, of Kante almost being in his position... That's what I immediately thought when he when when he was selected. I thought, but yeah, surely, I thought Gilmore was going to be there and Kante was going to be further forward. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. Yeah. I couldn't get that, but no, he's obviously now playing Kante in exactly in that he wants to persist with that. Which yeah, but fair enough. I you know I, if he can get him to to make it work, great. You know, but as you say, he's hardly ever played there, despite everybody saying that that's his best position. Well, he's played. Yeah. He plays and he's played in a two there, hasn't he? And yeah. of course, that's the big mistake that. A lot of people make, but having said that, you know, I, I, I really, 
you know, I'm just checking actually the script. Am I going to start whinnying on about this in the second half of the show? But anyway, I, I am. I am. I so am. I so am. Anyway, look, the point is, is that I'm not going to, I'm not having this. Kante can't play here. Kante can't play there. Kante plays in the two. He's not a defensive midfielder. He's a bloody world-class footballer. The only place he can't play is in goal because he's a short ass. All right. <laughs> he could pretty much play anywhere. He's, he he's tried world-class. He's like a cat. He might, yeah. Give him some stilts. He'll be all right, JK. Right, let's go back to the Ute, uh, Clayton. Because um, you're you're a very kind, very forgiving, compassionate man. So I feel that this this is definitely a question that should go to you. Um, the thing about the youngsters, I think Joe and JK make really good points there, actually. That, you know, football players, actually, what they like most is to know where they stand. They like honesty, you know. And I get that. I think that Frank is a very honest manager, you know, he's not going to play mind games with them like Mourinho used to, Brian Clough used to, Sarri did, I think, a bit last season. So my feeling is, is that they will trust him and they will be, they will come back very much as he said. I mean, he was very quick to point out that uh, they're all going to go on and have fantastic careers for Chelsea and they're going to be great players. So they will come back, but uh, they've got to earn it, right? Absolutely. And a sort of whilst after Thursday night's debacle, uh, the, the thought of actually watching anything on BT Sport ever again in my lifetime uh, was something I didn't they want to do. Liverpool a few times, you know, didn't they? This time, I did. Liverpool I, we can come on to that later. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing that they did do was that they actually talked about this, the fact that after the game, there shouldn't and there won't be any fear that these players will just be pushed to one side. And, that, and they actually talked to Frank about that. The whole point, and, and we've been saying it all season, the great thing about Frank and Jody is that they know these kids and they basically will treat them better than anybody else. Now, it was quite interesting because obviously, as you say, I'm a very compassionate man and I actually was close to tears when I was looking at Billy Gilmore because Billy Gilmore, when he was sitting in the stands, looked like he was going to cry. Oh. And But there was somebody there, I think it might have even been hilarious, who basically had his arm around his shoulders. That's not socially distanced, though, Clayton. Can't do that. Metaphorically. No, but but the hilarious had a mask on. So that was fine. But, you know, these players will learn. I mean, Frank said encouraging words to them via his interviews. And there's no reason to think that he won't do that in training. And, you know... These guys will know. Billy Gilmore will know. I mean, these guys come off, they're disappointed. They're disappointed because they know they haven't performed to their best ability. I don't think Mason Mount is an issue at all. I mean, Mason Mount is is Frank's love child and he will start whenever he does. Mason Mount was blowing out his ass from the first minute and we all know why. And that's fine. So I've got no problem with that at all, although I was surprised that he actually took him off. Um, but no, I, I think these guys will learn and they'll keep learning. So I think, you know, we've got just the right people there to, to nurture their talent, to, to get even better. Well, I agree with that. Now, just just I'll just read you what, what uh, Frank said after the match. For those of you, I mean, you know, I can't believe anybody who listens to this show probably hasn't remembered this and could repeat it by rote. But just in case, he said, uh, it's it's a learning experience. I could have taken more off or other players off. I'm not pulling those out on their own. Sounds a bit like a Sir Alf comment, that. But anyway, I'm not pulling those out on their own. Uh, they will be top players for this club and have top careers. But if I have to do something, I will. It was on one of those games where I had to do something. They will take it on the chin. And I think 
that's bloody good management because he's straight down the line with them. Uh, anyway, talking of things that are straight down the line before we go to our break, uh, uh, those who will know, and Clayton will certainly know, uh, is that there is a very special edition of CFC UK out at the moment. And it's special for uh, one reason, which is you don't have to read my garbage for a change because it's basically a picture edition. It's it's a it's a it's an edition for those who don't like reading but do like pictures. But there's some absolutely, I mean, it's a bigger issue than normal as well. But it's an absolutely amazing issue. Some of the photographs DJ's got of Roman and the players all holding up uh, the CFC UK. Me and Clayton are in there doing likewise. Not quite as famous, but uh, we did our best. But it's a brilliant edition, and I really you know urge you to go and get it. Not least because it's also all for charity. Uh, it's a bit more expensive than usual. It's it's retailing at six quid, but uh, the money is all going to Help for Heroes, Leukemia UK, Help Them Help Us and Stoll, who are, of course, our next-door neighbours who look after the yes. veterans. So please, please, please dip your hand in your pocket and go and order one of these very special... I don't think there's been a f- special photo edition ever, so this is quite unique. Um, anyway, the aim is to raise 500 quid for charity. As I said, it's six quid, including postage within the UK. To do that you need to uh, email uh, PayPal and also cfcuk at gate17.co.uk. That's also what you email. That's the that's who you pay as well via PayPal. But if you email cfcuk at gate17.co.uk, uh, you can uh, obviously let DJ know your address and he'll then make sure you get your copy. I mean, it's an absolute blinder. So well done, DJ. Uh, and thank you for giving us the month off of having to write an article. I think Clayton, you probably concur. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a really good cause. I don't know if it's still available, but I think if you search it on eBay, oh, you might yeah. still be able to buy it on eBay as well. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, well done. It's because I don't really understand how eBay works, believe it or not. So I always None of us that. do. Uh, We're too old. Well, Tim's the one that organised it, and he's older than even you and me, and he might not be older than Jonathan. But uh... I would say it can't possibly work, but I know it does because I, I bought my two copies uh, from eBay. Uh. Um I PayPal'd it, mate. I PayPal'd it. Uh, well, know. anyway, good stuff. Get on it, people. CFC UK, the world's best fancy. Now, after the very short break, uh, we're going to be coming back talking more about the Leicester Chelsea game. Uh, Kovacic, should he start every game? Barkley, uh, what an enigma. We're going to have a quick chat about the defence as well and the fact that Asby is completely undervalued. And uh, also, we'll be looking ahead. We've got United. Uh, it's about time we beat them this season, isn't it? We'll be back in a sec. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the Boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chelsea. Right, uh, welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast. I am Mr. Stamford Chidge. Uh, I'm joined, as ever, by the lovely Jonathan Kidd. Hello, everybody. Marvellous. Simply marvellous. Uh, also, the equally uh, wonderful Mr. Clayton Beerman. Good evening. And the ever-lovely Joe Tweeds. Evening, Chich. Uh, and actually, I've just remembered something. that I had I had this kind of weird, random... You know when you're sitting there bored, you know, watching the telly, fanning about on Twitter? I had, I had one such moment the other day, and I thought, it's about time I had little stings for all of the people on the fan cast. 
okay and i and i found i found i mean obviously um i was thinking maybe you know just take because obviously I, I can only steal like about five seconds or they'll sue me so i was thinking i might nick the refrain from the pretenders version of kid for jonathan kid uh i did find this country and western song uh about beerman did you i did there's the pixies uh famous chant uh Tony's song, it's called Tony, Tony, Tony. So I'm going to dig one out for all of you. Joe would obviously get Hey Joe, that one, Jimi Hendrix song. So I'm going to I'm going to start working on this. I'm going to start working on this and get you all it's little things. The, uh, that's the song I'm named after, actually, Chidge. No way. Yeah, my my dad's a big Jimi Hendrix fan. Well, there you go. What Good. you're doing with that gun in your hand? Yeah, yeah. I only realised the lyrics were a bit more uh, macabre when I got a bit older. But uh, yeah. Well, you know, it could be worse. You could have been a Beatles fan, mate. I'm going downtown to kill my lady. Anyway, um, uh, <laughs> can I not have um, diddly diddy do wah wah wah? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to do a new. By the way, the other thing is we're, we're uh, Jonathan and I are starting a brand new podcast next week. Not about football at all. It's not going to. It's going to be about anything we like. But it's going to be called the Naked Podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> is that both of us are naked then? Yes. Okay. okay. <laughs> now I, I need. I need well, you know, actually, complete digression. I know, but today this is a momentous day. Uh, if only Tim Rolls was on the show or Martin Wickham tonight. Today is the day I've started my couch to five k. There you go. Really? I've, start, I've started the program, mate. I've joined the cult. I've got. Wow. I've bought running shoes. I don't know if you can see them. See the running shoes. Oh, congratulations! There you go. Wearing them in as we speak. Oh, really? Brilliant. So really there you well go. Done. Great. Uh, so I did. I did. Uh, I did. Well, you, you, they, they t- kind of take it in steps. I did my first little walk this morning. I got up. I was out, I was out half seven, having a nice walk down by the river. I did a bit of uh, uh, yoga exercises tonight for me poor ailing back. So there you go. But I, I, I was a bit naughty. I did have some banana cake today. So oh, banana's a good bit of potassium. Well, Get the abs not? going. Get the abs. Do I some know. abs. That's the it's yoga. Good. The yoga does that. Be good for your back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. Anyway, we digress. Well, well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank Meanwhile, you. I'm, I'm having a scan on my knee to see whether I've oh, torn bless. my... Meniscus again. Bless. That's no good, mate. Anyway, uh, I'm an old git. I can't. Well, do we're it. all old gits apart from Joe. Anyway, uh, we digress. Um, now, listen. Somebody who is very fit uh, certainly doesn't have to do a couch to five k, and that would be the wonderful Matteo Kovacic. I, I, I actually really love this guy, but I've got to be honest, uh, Joe. I, I'm 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 stumped as to why he's not starting at the moment because when he does come on. <clears throat> He changes the whole fucking game. And I mean, yesterday, he was dynamite. He was everywhere, everywhere when he came on. His his urgency, I mean, I use the expression urgency as the title, something we seriously lacked in the first half. But And we weren't pressing them. We were getting pressed. But he certainly turned the tide. And I'm just thinking, you know, we were absolutely lauding him, weren't we, the earlier on in the season, saying, well, he's a, he's a different player from the one we had last year. So I'm really intrigued why he's not starting. I mean, have you got any sense on this? Yeah, um, I think that there, there for me, there, there's one fundamental weakness in Kovacic's game. And I think you could see that in the Aston Villa game. And that is when we play teams who sit deep, defending on the edge of their penalty area, defending the width of the penalty area, bank of four, bank of five, whatever it's going to be. Those games, I think he struggles in. So in yeah. the final third, his creativity, his vision, his ability to pass. And for a footballer who probably from the defensive third, middle third, 
it's probably one of the best I've seen at Chelsea. His his ability to to move the ball, to dribble, to beat people, to pass. When he gets in that final third, you'll see particularly the Villa game, every pass as Villaqueta, as Villaqueta. And then, you know, the inevitable sort of 500 crosses that we put in the game sort of started. So I think the only reason that I can say with, it may be a bit contrarian in terms of why he isn't starting, but that's the only thing I can think of is that when Lampard is expecting us to play teams who are going to sit deep, I don't think, I think the reason last season, you think it was him and Kante in those midfield positions, a lot of the time, those advanced midfield positions. I don't think he gives you enough creativity. And he, he, obviously there's no real threat from him to, to shoot from distance either. So that's probably the only reason I, I, I can't see him playing. I was very surprised he didn't start against City. I think Kovacic is usually one of our best players when well, we play good teams. We'll get on that later, and, but he came on and, and again, I think was fundamental in changing the game. Yeah. And I think against yeah. a, a team that comes at you, and that's a really good point you make, Teams that come at us, he's vital. But teams that sit back, he, it, it's a waste of a creative player, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I agree with um, that. If he, if he had that creative element, he'd still be at Real Madrid. I mean, he's fundamentally an absolutely fantastic player. But if he had that vision and that creativity, even if he, if he threatened, you know, like Kevin De Bruyne or someone like that with a long shot, you know, someone who at least threatens something on the opposition. I think when he has the ball, you see teams, they're, they're far too comfortable just to sit back and ask him to, sort of beat us so that re- that's really the only downside to his game so I think again you know the the Leicester game really particularly when they were they were coming at us pressing us you know when people put Kovic under pressure his ability to roll people in midfield left right move move Great, the ball it? yeah. it's just incredible and that's why I was a bit surprised that he he didn't play but when he came on I mean the the, the way that the the game changed the momentum that, that changed in that game was instantaneous you know Barkley was all the sort of energy and all that sort of stuff but Kovic I think really really dictated and, and controlled that game. So I think he's going to be a player that we see hopefully more often than not. Um, but I think that there will be use cases where we play the Villas and, and teams of, of that nature um, who want to just literally defend the width of their penalty area, two banks of four or five, whatever, um, where the, there's going to be slightly different people needed. Either guys who get into the box like Barkley or guys who can shoot like Mason Mount or maybe moving someone like next season like uh, Hakim Zayac in there who can make that pass, um, who can who can see things a little bit differently. So... Um, yeah, I think for, for me, Lampard likes him in the bigger games, but in terms of breaking down these sort of really obstinate teams who, who play with this deep block, I think that, that really is the only weakness that he has. I think Werner is also, Werner, I should say, is also somebody having seen footage of him who, um, in that kind of mass defence, has such tricky feet and gets shots, snaps shots off yeah. that, that are um, not what goalkeepers and defence will expect. And I think he, he's a real unlocker of that kind of environment. Werner from what I've seen of him. In, yeah, um, and he's got fantastic movement as well. I think that, that again, is another thing that we lack a little bit um, when you see, um, you know, times of seasons, guys who, who don't want to come into those little pockets of space. Um, I think Werner, for me, is, is going to be the guy that uh, that really helps. The, the, the runs that he can make from sort of wide into those sort of central striking areas are really, really uh, positive. But obviously, we need, the, we need the guys to be able to pick those passes out. So, um, yeah, I think, yeah, Kovar, I think he, he starts with me more often than not, but as I said, you know, when, when we play these sort of super defensive teams, I can see the case for him not playing, um, even if I, I think he's probably probably the best midfielder that we have in terms of his ability. Mm-hmm. Clayton? Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I love him. I think he's the closest thing we've had to Mikel uh, since Mikel in terms of his ability to shield the ball, not to lose it and not to give it away. I think he's, he's an outstanding footballer. Um I don't know who his coaches have been, but is there any way that that we could coach goals into him? I just don't know. I mean, it, it, I think as a, as a non 
as a fan, it's always quite extraordinary that you've basically got somebody who's so skillful but couldn't hit a banjo or whatever cow's ass with a banjo. It's just bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre. He scored a couple, though. He got a bit better. scored a couple earlier on, didn't he, in the season? He looked a bit better. Yeah, but I I mean, I think he scored about three, four goals in about 150 games. Maybe he's taken the whole Mikel comparison literally, mate. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe, but I hadn't actually broken that to him. No. I mean, it's an interesting point you make. I mean, maybe, I mean, you know, I, I was never very good at football so I couldn't tell you but I mean ex-players that I've spoken to will will tell you that you know there is such a thing as a natural goal scorer you know some people it's a knack you know some people have it and some people don't we've seen enough shit centre forwards at Chelsea down the years to understand that idea that's for sure but talking of um, you know natural kind of talent actually I thought I thought Lamps said something really interesting about Barkley who I want to talk about now um, which you know, absolutely seemed to to nail it for me in terms of the the conundrum that we face. He says, I love to work with midfielders and the ones who want to get forward. Ross has a better left foot, excuse me, Ross has a better left foot than me. He's always going to be a goal threat. And I think there's a bit of truth in that, although I would say that every other part of Frank Lampard's body was infinitely better than than Ross Barkley. It's not not his body, Chidge, it's his brain. Brain. (laughs) That's all it is. I know. I know. I mean, it, it was a fantastic goal. And yet again, fo- you know, he... You he had to think about it, Chidge, though, did he? He just saw it and kicked it in. And, but it was... Be- I mean, that was a quality, oh, quality finish. It was. Superbly timed run. I mean, that was a really difficult chance. But, but but when he came on, like Kovacic, he grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck and he was up and at him. But yet, it, as I know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this to Jonathan because I know he's been itching to do it. it and yet it was still <laughs> a classically Barkley performance, wasn't it? Well, I find his his inability to actually analyse what's going on around him um, just sort of it. It's I, I face. Jonathan's pulling his killing. <laughs> he's trying to he's trying to restrain himself. Stutter <laughs> and, and steam come out of my ears. Um, but what all we see is the same inconsistency every single time. There was a terrible moment. I don't know if you noticed this where. He, once again, I think we were, rather than the four on two, which he cocked up, the, we were four on three breaking in the second half, which happened quite regularly. And he passed the ball to uh, Loftus-Cheek, who'd made a really good run on the left, and he passed it behind him. Oh, did you see the one that, that went straight into touch? Well, that yeah. was it. That was it. Yeah, but, that that was was but also, but the look, the look that Loftus-Cheek gave him spoke volumes completely. And I suddenly thought, everybody in the team thinks you're a dick. Yeah, I really thought that because yeah, that was yeah. a moment of appalling insight where they thought it was you've done it again, Ross. You can't eat. the fact that you have a supposedly top class player playing the ball consistently behind people when they are, you know, as I say, four on two, four on three. All you need is a is a little pass forward. You know, any of us can do that. Goodness sake. So like even you, Chidge, Sunday football, you know, you could just. <laughs> Just lay it off, you know. It's there. You just roll it. it I mean, you I, clearly, I, you clearly saw me play, Jonathan. No, no, it's you, it was, it was your your own assessment of your of your, of your talent. Uh, you told me in the past you just yeah, complete bugger. All you did was just you, you were you were cho- chopper. Yeah, and you then hit, people. You hit people and punched them. <laughs> Ref, referee, re, referees just standing in the centre circle because it's a Sunday league game. Never noticed. Well, I was I, in, I, I was in, I was into I, psychology even then, mate, because I was such a skinny little kid. I mean, I really a few. A few 
you know well, i've seen those pictures yeah, of you as a, as a really punk. really yeah. really well i was even skinnier and smaller when i was playing football uh, and I, I worked out the psychology of the game really quickly that was to go and seek out the biggest hardest hairy ass player and kick him as hard as i could because they'd think this kid's clearly a fucking nutter we're not going <laughs> to go anywhere near him and it used to work mate it used to work yeah. Apart from when I got sent off. <laughs> or when you got hit. You got oh, well, yeah. well, no, because yeah, it was like, we were like, you remember the old British Lions thing from 71? Yeah? The, the 99 call. If one of us got hit, everybody would pile in. So we, oh, yeah. we, we, people had your back, mate. No, we had that. I, we had a um, uh, a goalkeeper who was a dustman. How do we get into all this? A dustman. And he always used to say to me, he'd say, Jonathan, hey, Jonathan, I've got your back, mate. I've got your back. No problem. All right, all right. And I, they'd, and him and the centre-half would escort me off the pitch at the end to, to avoid, because a bloke had always In, say, in a dustbin, Jonathan. <laughs> he'd carry me in off. In a wheelie bin. Somebody would always say, here, you, mate. Here, you. Here, you, 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 you. The posh puff, they'd say. He'd say, you're the one. I'm going to knife you. And I'd say, um, I'd say, yeah, guys, can you... Uh, deal with him and uh and they would anyway getting back to to the there was a, another terrible moment where we were on the, the forum too and barkley had that shot that i think came back out to him good again. shot actually and, i mean i and, thought uh, he, yeah. you know schmeichel did well he got lucky yeah, wonderfully wonderfully but nonetheless pedro was standing on his yeah, own yeah. his right who would i think probably have scored but that that's the and, one where barkley had to kind of like put his extend his leg like telescope man or what, what are they what's that what's that cartoon character Twizzle. No, the, the the bloke with the telescopic legs and Inspector arms. Inspector Gadget. Thank you, Inspector thank you, Gadget, Joe. Yeah. yeah, he did. He looked like inspect. He was kind of like running forward, and then he had to like stop, halter, and extend his back leg out to pass the ball back to Barkley. Yeah. absolutely nuts. It was nuts. Yeah, there were some nuts moments. But I, I, I don't know why we're having this conversation. He- this is a regular occurrence. Yeah. At least he's not in a position where he's been caught in possession. At least we didn't have that. That was the other thing that happened. <laughs> you know, we didn't, because he was going so far forward. Why Why this? I mean, even Mark Worrell, you know, any, we mustn't complain. He's great. I'm sorry. I then put in, I said, look, I, you know, I don't want him. I want him out of the club. And he wrote, um, he, bar humbug, Mark. Enjoy <laughs> the moment, Jonathan. Yeah, I know. But, uh, uh, but I find it, I find it uh, uh, annoying that we're, we're thinking in terms of him having a future at the club if we have aspirations. I don't to, think there is really. To, uh, well, I, 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 I. What do you yes, think, I, Clayton? What do you think, Clayton? Throw some sense on Jonathan and my silliness. Well, I don't. I don't think it is silly. I mean, I, I think we we talked about this before. I think he's the most wonderfully naturally gifted footballer. With a great shot. Uh, he's he's Gascoigne esque. Um, and he's Gascoigne-esque upstairs as well. Except as a brush. The, the difference being that Gascoigne, although Gascoigne wasn't the sharpest tool in the box, he had a footballing brain and he knew what he was doing. I have absolutely no doubt that, that Barkley hasn't got a clue what he's doing. I mean, for an England international who's played 30-plus games, to be in those two situations, I mean, yes, he scored the winner, but if, you know, he could have made sure that that game was wrapped up 10, 15 minutes before it was. That that move was just hysterical. And I can't think of any Chelsea fan who wasn't screaming at the TV, pass it, pass we've it, pass it. We've done that before, it. though, with him, haven't we? Pass it, for fuck's sake, pass it, right. And then he scored and we've gone, oh, he scored a great goal. But for fuck's sake, you know. But then, but then the commentator said, oh, Tammy Abraham should have made a different run. Well, Tommy Abraham thought, what is he doing? Is he going to pass it? When is he going to pass it? Where is he going to pass it? 
I think, you know, it, it's he, he is much maligned, but I, I don't know if there's any hope for him, to be perfectly oh, honest. I, I think he's improved from, from where he was when he first joined the club, but he, he's not where he should be. That's true enough. I mean, he's... He's not young anymore, that's for sure. Um, very quick mention in dispatches, Joe. Uh, I mean, we will talk about him in more detail, uh, obviously, when we talk about City. But I thought, again, what caught my eye about Pulisic yesterday was the fact that... Great. Yeah, I mean, he, I, Hazard-esque in parts, I thought. You know, the way he runs at people and he's got great control, great feet, quick feet, and they don't dare touch him, you know, because he's quite small. And I... You know, he he's getting better and better, I think, Joe, isn't he? I think when he when he first joined Chelsea, I was a little bit reticent in terms of jumping on the bandwagon because I think we paid an awful lot of money for him and I wasn't I wasn't entirely sure what it was that we were getting. You know, if you looked at just his raw kind of stats and stuff, there wasn't a huge amount of assists, not a huge lot of goals. So I was a little bit like, Okay, we're paying a lot of money here. But I think over the course of this season the best or the comparison I keep getting is that he reminds me of Pedro when Pedro was at Barcelona. He the, the runs that he makes, the fact that he's he's our only forward he, or winger who's willing to go in behind players. Yeah, now he's willing to sort of make that running behind. But the way he dribbles, the way he finishes, the way that he runs, for me, if you go watch Pedro in Pedro's peak at Barcelona, that is exactly the type of player that he seems to be transitioning into. Doesn't quite have Hazard's kind of stop and go stocky kind of dribbling, but I think he's far more direct than that, and I think it suits us in terms of the way that he's been playing. But the one thing that I hope is that this little kind of spade of injuries that he keeps sort of picking up, these these sort of knocks that he keeps getting, if he can get over that and get a run of games in the sides, I think that he's, for me, he's someone who can get you 10, 15 goals a season. You know, the runs that he makes, the the, the pace with which he can run with the ball and without the ball, the fact that he's willing to go beyond the striker, the fact that he offers us a different dimension. But he seems to be coming into his own a little bit now. And I don't know whether that's confidence getting, a, you know, adjusted to the Premier League. But as a as a weapon for for Lampard to use, you know, even the the, the impact that it, that he had against Villa obviously was to come on and score. Um, but I, I think the you know the, the 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 games that we've seen him play recently, I think he's been above and away um, probably the, the best player on the pitch. Certainly That's the City it. game, the goal that he I know we'll talk, probably talk about it a bit later, but the goal was fantastic. But Wonderful. I just I hope that he continues on this track because this, the type of player that Pedro was at Barcelona, if if Pulisic can get to that level of consistency and quality. Um, you know, having that up there with guys like Timo Werner and Zayek and all these guys that we're looking at to bring in, that's that's a lot of firepower going into next season. Considering that is our weak, our weak point is converting chances when we're dominating teams. That completely changes the complexion of the Chelsea side that Lampard has. So really, really positive on him. And I just hope that he can he can get over these sort of little kind of niggling injuries that he's picking up because I think, you know, he could be a real, real superstar for us. Yeah, it looks like he might have got another one. I think he got a knock on the calf, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. a great point you made about him about Hazard stopping and starting because Hazard was almost taunting players yeah. standing in front of them and saying, I'll beat you. I can go. It's almost to go back in, back into the lexicon of Chelsea greats. Charlie Cook was a bit like that. He yeah. would just take somebody on and do a sh- shoulder and flick it past and run past them. Whereas Pulisic has a fluidity, that, yeah. that, that it's sinuosity that is just uh, uh, phenomenal. I thought he was absolutely great yesterday. And unlucky not to score as well. I thought oh, he was very unlucky. Absolutely. I was... Considering Schmeichel had had nothing to do up to that point, literally nothing, yeah, yeah. that was an unbelievable save. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Super. People were saying, in fact, that he should have gone left or right, but he was the reason he hit it that quickly because a tackle was about to come in. Yeah, and so, I think Johnny Evans was covering the right corner, yeah, and he, there's he no was. way he could have got it to the left, so he just hit it with power. But as Clayton said, he went for that because I think yeah. he saw the tackle and thought, "I'll just snap 
snap this. Yeah, phenomenal happened. save, really was. It was, yeah. it was. Oh, he's a, I, I, I never quite understand why people are critical of Schmeichel. He seems to get a bit of criticism. He's, he's always, he always makes fantastic saves. Is there a, something I'm missing, Clayton, with Schmeichel? Is he, is no, he... nothing, nothing at all. No. I, I've got absolutely no idea. I think he's a top class goalkeeper. Top, top, top goalie. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, uh, well, I was going to mention somebody. Oh, I know. Yeah. Is anybody worried about Loftus Cheek here? Because I've got to say, he, he look, I, I think there's something mentally going. I think I alluded to this last week, but I think there's something mentally going on with him. And I'm not surprised. I mean, I've done a bit of reading about this. And when you get an injury like he did, uh, and in fact, uh, Hudson Odoi, an injury basically where your Achilles goes, you've not gone into a heavy tackle or a heavy challenge or anything like that. It's just kind of happened. It can have a very negative psychological impact on you because you're you're all you don't trust your body basically you're thinking well it happened once it could happen again now the actual reality is it very very rarely does happen again because they kind of make your achilles stronger but i wonder if there's something mentally he does not look confident at all and he's very anonymous and i mean i know that barkley did an absolutely ridiculously appalling pass straight into touch but there was a point where i thought that actually loftus cheek might have got that but he, he kind of got yeah he did, yeah. So I'm just wondering that's, that's if why we... I felt there was something more to it, you know. Yeah. Because I felt that he gave because he wanted to remonstrate with him. I just felt they whether it's just the two of them they don't get on. I don't know. Who but, knows? Um, well, they're kind of competing. Well, I agree aren't completely. They? I, I'm also worried about him physically. I know we've gone on. I've gone on about this before. Is because of he was such a huge hullet-like unit before, and this the slim down version. It may be that he won't get the same back problems, but I wonder whether he's got used yet to the the way that he's running with it. I mean, yeah, like, good point. The, fact, the fact that Frank is picking him must mean that he's doing well in training. And I don't, Frank isn't a charity. He's not going to give him a go just because, you know, he wants to get him rehabilitated by the first team. If he's not providing the goods in training, he won't pick him. But, uh, but as, as Chidge said, he's not, he's not, um, he's not, He's not there yet. He doesn't seem to be on the on the off. He's off the pace. I think he'll. I think he'll need a lot of time, Clayton, and and a lot of arm. You know, I think he's a he's a kind of a, an arm around the shoulder player anyway. And if you remember, and it can't. Do you know what struck me as weird, Clayton? He looked like he did when he first broke into the side. And I remember when we first started watching, and we were going. He, he he doesn't look like he feels he belongs there. He's playing like that. You it was know? under Mourinho, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Do you remember that, Clayton? Yeah, no, you're spot on. I, th- I think he looks nervous. I mean, his body language is very tentative. Um, th- that, that was interesting, that that obviously awful pass from Barkley. I think it's deceptive. You can't actually work out the angles. But True it, enough. It, you know, when you're watching telly, it looked like he could get there. I mean, it probably wasn't, but he, he sort of gave up on it. Um, might, might be, didn't want to stretch or what have you. Yeah. But I think it's a... I think it's a I think it's quite interesting because they say that that um, the front three, including uh, Ruby, uh, for the Villa game was picked because they were so impressive against QPR in that sort of in that behind closed doors game, and the attack looked apparently fantastic and Loftus Cheek scored two goals, and you have to think that he was probably comfortable in that scenario because it sort of cosseted, blanketed. You know, nobody was really watching and maybe, I don't know, they'd said to the QPR players, don't kick him. I've got no idea. It's a stupid thing to say. But he, he just doesn't look right. His, his whole, I mean, the, the 45 minutes against Villa was was pretty poor and he didn't really contribute anything 
yesterday, but that's not to say had he had a decent pass from Ross, he might have done. I don't know. He just looks, or maybe he's just not comfortable out on the wing. Mm. Maybe he 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 needs to be playing where Ross was playing. Yeah, well, you know, I, I think it'll need time either way. And I think, you know, I think he's got the talent potentially to deserve being given that time. Now, uh, somebody perhaps who should have been given more time by me, uh, certainly after last week, is perhaps our defence. I was very down on them last week, um, not least because they showed the same vulnerabilities that they often do organisationally. It's from set pieces particularly. JK's already mentioned crosses being whipped in. And, and OK, first half, they... they you know, they were still susceptible to crosses being whipped in and Reese was getting rinsed down the right. But I have to say, I thought defensively they, they you know, were much better. I mean, Zuma and Rudiger, you know, kept Leicester out, I felt. You know, I thought they did well. And obviously, Aspie coming, excuse me, Aspie coming on, you know, really changed the game as well because, I, I you know, I think this is the point, actually, two points. First of all, Joe, which do you think is our best combination and how much do you think Aspie is undervalued? Oh, okay. So I know I'll ask everybody this, by the way. So. Yeah. I think I think on current form it's probably Andreas Christensen and I would I would lean on Zuma personally over Rudiger. I think Zuma is a little bit more competitive in the air than 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 Rudiger. I think Rudiger plays because he's got experience and Lampard likes that he's vocal. Um but I, I, I do like um, I do like Zuma, and I think personally that I would play him. Um, but yeah, probably for, for Lampard, it's Rudiger and Christensen. I would say that's probably his uh, his pairing going forward. And in terms of the the valuing of Aspilicueta, I think that he is within a shout of this kind of mini restart season of being the most impressive player that, that Chelsea have had. I mean, he got the two assists against Villa. I think that he was faultless against City, and I think when he came on against uh, Leicester the weekend. He was absolutely fantastic. And I don't know if, if you've been watching Chelsea, have been doing these fantastic kind of, uh, I don't know what you're calling these kind of little videos where they're kind of zooming in on the players on the pitch during the City game. And during a break, you could see like Asfilicueta really getting into the players and really kind of saying that, you know, if we need to play long, let's play long, let's win second balls, let's get our structure. And I think that, that people have, have, have maybe overlooked the fact that he's such a massive vocal component of that entire setup that Lampard is trying to put in place. So, you know, again, you go back to the money that Chelsea have played for him. What, what they have got out of Azpilicueta compared to some other big money players that we've signed is, is astronomical. But I, I think certainly, you know, the past couple of games, he has been within a shout of being a, one of the best players on the pitch in every single match. Organisation, fantastic play for, for, you know, for slotting back into right back after playing as a centre back and a left back and wherever he's played over the past couple of years. But, you know, real picture of consistency, top, top professional, is in absolutely fantastic condition as per usual. Um, I think hopefully, you know, someone like Reese James is looking for someone to to look at, uh, you know, in terms of professionalism and, and sort of, you know, how to kind of approach the game as a right back. Then he has a fantastic mentor there in Aspilicueta. But I still think, yeah, hugely undervalued. But uh, you know, I think I think we're kind of seeing, particularly in this 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 restart portion of the season, that he wears the armband for a reason. Mm-hmm. Clayton. Yeah, no, I mean, there's not much I can add to what Joe said. I I, I think he is massively underrated. Who's um, I think that he, he basically, everybody sort of, well, not everybody, but a lot of people question why is he the captain? He shouldn't be the captain. He's not vocal enough. Well, we don't see, and as Joe said, I, I saw that thing when the, when the players got together, he was the one that was talking. 
you know, you have to think that after half time, the defence looked better because he was talking. Yeah, he was 100%. the one that was there. He came back and he was telling them what to do. They looked absolutely bloody clueless before the, before the break. He, he is a leader by, by example because he gives everything. I've never, ever seen him not give everything. And, and I, I love him. I really do. I think he's, he's massively underrated and we won't actually realise how great he has been until he's gone. As far as the pairing at the back is concerned, I've got no idea. I'm really interested uh, at what Joe said uh, about Zuma ahead of Rudiger. I think that I think Rudiger's not as good as people think he is. Um, I watched Rudiger. Uh, sorry, I watched Zuma, and I I just Rudiger. Yeah, it's it might as well be. But yes, the first half, the pair of them. They were. They he, came, were he, came from, he came from rumor, didn't he? <laughs> they, they were inseparable in their ineptitude um, I, don't, I really just don't know what I would love to see ideally is I'd love to see Tamori given a chance uh, when he's fit is he still injured just le- yeah uh, let, let him make mistakes because I think potentially he's the best one out of the three of them uh, or the four of them uh, Christensen looked fantastic against Manchester City but then he looked awful against Villa so I think it's really difficult. I think they're all much of a muchness. And I, I, I do hope that we address that. I, 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 I can't answer your question because I don't know what the best combination is. I, th- I think it doesn't matter. I, d- I just think they're all much of a muchness. I think Christensen um, is the best ball player, isn't he? Of the, of absolutely. The if you want somebody to, to play the ball out of defence, yes, without a shadow of a doubt. The other thing that came over loud and clear yesterday, and I know it's unfair because he hasn't played for months, but Emerson just looks so bang average yesterday. Every time he took the ball forward, he just stopped and he cut back. back. Ron Ron said to me a year ago, he said, you know, he hardly ever comes being a Millwall fan. He said, Emerson, he's not a proper player. I don't, you know, I don't know, and Joe might have a, a thought on this, but when we bought him, I know he had a terrible injury before he came, but when we bought him, like before his injury, he was supposed to be one of the top left backs in the world. He was, uh, so the perception of him that he was just a notch below Alexandro when we were buying, you know, when we were trying to buy him for like what 40, 50, 60 million pound bids were apparently going in for him. So he was perceived as just a, like a little step behind him in terms of quality, but. That was when Alexandre was probably the best left back in world football for two, three seasons. So really, really top player. But Chelsea have a habit. I mean, you look at some of the players that we've bought kind of post-injury or once they've had a little bit of a dip, it's one of these sort of little things that we can't sort of resist is, you know, we bought Rudiger, we've got Emerson, Barkley after a big injury. You know, it's sort of one of these things that we we like reclamation projects. So I'm not sure Emerson has quite worked <laughs> out, but, you know, and I was also say as well, I think Marcus Alonso has played very well last yeah. couple of the games I've seen him. Some- Fantastic stats about Alonso. Did you see Yeah, them? I saw them, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was completely taken aback. I think, what is it, 11 games and we've only lost one. Yeah. Playing. Yeah. And you then go, okay, well, that's the left-back position. <laughs> They're not going to buy anybody if he's if he's as good as that. I think the dilemma he had was he was so dreadful against Bayern, wasn't he, which was such a, a low point for Alonso. Yeah. But I felt he played very well against City. Alonso. Yeah, didn't I, get rinsed at all. We were worried no, he might. No, Well, it seemed to be, I think he was being helped, wasn't he? He was going forward yeah. and I think Kante was coming around and helping him there. So it then, you're, he's not as exposed. Um, I mean, and I, I, I love him because of his, act, his acting, because of his acting, because <laughs> of his, because of his hair, darling. I love it. I love him because of his, uh, his attacking abilities. I mean, a, a peerless shot and, and, uh, 
you know, and a, a better centre than Dave, which segues me rather beautifully into my Dave analysis. I think Dave is, is I absolutely agree with you. The industry that he showed when he made you realise how far Rhys James has got to go. Yeah. I know we're great fans of Rhys James and his abilities to, to get those lovely curling centres he puts in, which he didn't get any opportunity to do because he was just under pressure all the time. But the problem is, of course, is that Dave is then supposed to be uh, every possible, um, have every possible attribute. And the one thing he doesn't have is that crossing ability under pressure. Um, and it's such a shame because I, I, I'd love it if he could just improve that aspect of his game because it, uh, it, it's actually lovely to almost rediscover somebody and go, actually, you're much, much better than, than I've ever, ever thought. And seeing him come on afterwards being so dreadful and put in a completely immaculate performance was, was absolutely fantastic because he really did. He just changed it. You made the organisation. And even at the end there, when that, what's his name? Susuku, whatever his name is, was about to, to head in when, when our, our, our favourite. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> what's that thinking? Susuku. Susudio, <laughs> mate. Yes. It's Phil Collins. It's Phil Collins. So when Phil Collins headed yeah. the ball and yeah. Espy got yeah, in the Phil way. Collins. Yeah, Phil Collins. And he was, and that gorilla was playing, playing the drums. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, no, <laughs> so the, and the ball came over and he almost, he headed it. And Dave had just gone up there, hadn't he, mm. for the header. He, he, there was no chance of him getting it. And it hit him on the back of the head and went out for a corner. Yeah. Otherwise, it, it would have just gone into the corner of the net because Caballero was nowhere to be seen well it was you passed the ball and lying on the ground I thought of him no, he, was, he was waving at the ball as it went past as he went past that's right but I thought of you immediately Clayton I thought I wonder what Clayton thinks of it JK um, what what about yeah. what about your central what about your, your central defenders? central defenders and yeah no I'm 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 got a question mark over Rudiger I've got a question mark over Zuma as well I, I just don't think you know I, I keep I, I keep talking about this aspirational thing and I keep going back to I was Think back to Peter Kenyon, who just said that in order to be world beaters and to maintain the level of of uh, competition, they need to have a, a top player in every position. Yeah. And at the moment, they haven't got top players um, in the in the best players. They're not the top players. Yeah. And uh, and so um, I would I would I'm afraid um, get three new centre halves if it was possible, which we won't be doing. So I think you need one one yeah. world class player. To possibly make the others work better and then become permutations, but at the moment, at the moment, there are too many faults with each of them. Well, I mean, particularly this business of leaving Evans on his own and the beginning of the game is just absolutely ridiculous. Why Evans didn't score is beyond me. I think he put off slightly, but you know, because they, 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 their inability to put the ball in the well, net. I, I would agree with quite... you about the defence issues. Absolutely bang on, and I, and I, this is my moan about last week, but I would agree. I think I think that Christensen is the best footballer in the yeah. defence, but the trouble is he just gets out muscled by hairy ass centre forwards. So, you know, I think if you're going to play Christensen, you've got to have a a very big, phys- physically dominant centre half, but also you need to have a physically dominant centre half who can organise that. I mean, you know, I said it in an article, I said it last week, we need our own Virgil van Dijk, or dare I say John Terry, but certainly a Virgil van Dijk in the here and now. Somebody who can lead that defence, you know, who can play football, but is rugged and you cannot dominate him. And and I don't think, I think I love Rudiger to pieces. I think he's a wonderful human being apart from anything else, but... For somebody as big and fast as him, I don't think he dominates at all, and I don't think he has the organisational sense. 
uh, Zuma, you know, you know, I, it, whenever he has the ball under pressure, I shit myself, frankly, because he looks as though he's going to pass it to the opposition every time. Maybe Clayton's right. Tamori may be our hope for the future because I think he's he's physically quite commanding actually, but he's also fast and he can also play football. Maybe we're hanging on for him, but I. It's that leadership quality, amongst apart from everything else, which I think that's perhaps why our defence looks so wobbly all the time, because we don't have somebody sitting there organising them. You know, Rudiger shouts a lot, but usually after the mistake's been been made. <laughs> I you told know? you to be there. Yeah, you know, I'm <laughs> right, Joe. I'm yeah. right, Joe. Yeah. You need him to do that before the bloody mistake happens, right? Yeah, no, he's very, very big on remonstrating after something has happened. But yeah. Uh, yeah, unless you're telling people to go there or be kept, be mindful of something, it's, it, it all seems a little bit uh, self-indulgent. Indeed. All right, well, enough of all of that. We've got United next. Uh, we all knew that would happen, of course, didn't we? Uh, I mean, it could have been worse. I, don't, I mean, I, I don't know. We, we've beaten Man City and we've beaten Arsenal. We haven't managed to beat Man City this year, JK. Man United this year, JK. So in a sense, it's the worst draw in that. That stuff, but I mean, surely we got you know we can't lose them four times. It'll be uh, four matches against them we've lost. It'll be just embarrassing beyond belief. Um, But if we, you know, I I think I I feel the first team is the team that played City, and if he plays that team, I think we'll do very well. Well, the trouble is, of course, is that he's got to find a way. uh, It'd be interesting to hear what Joe says about this, but he's got to find a way tactically. Of playing against Ollie, who will park the bus because that's what Ollie does. And he's figured us out. You just park the bus and you smash and grab it. And we've we've got frustrated against them and got caught napping. So he's got to figure out a way point, to yeah, tactically negate that. And I mean, you know, Cundy. I spoke to Cundy last week before the uh, the City game, and and he was really quite confident, as was I, against City because he said, "Look, you know, we're good against teams that come on to us. We're not so good against teams that park the bus." Joe? Yeah, it, it's it's weird to, to think that United are the team now that, that come into big games and, and they're the team that sit back given sort of obviously what I've grown up watching on the Ferguson. But I think it's, it's a really interesting point and it goes a little bit back to when you asked me about Kovacic, you know, what sort of kind of team that Lampard picks. And that for me is, is the big quandary that he has is that, you know, if you pick a more solid team, if you pick Kante and if you pick maybe Mount and Kovacic or Barkley and Kovacic or whoever... Um, if we are going to have a lot of the ball and dominate the ball, then we really have to be efficient and clinical and take the one or two chances that we create. Because I think, you know, you have to physically compete with Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba. You've got to be able to compete with them in midfield. Otherwise, when they counter, then I think that they'll absolutely murder us on the break. So it, it's a difficult situation because I think the midfield is, is where these games kind of tend to be won and lost. So, you know, Kante may be in a, a defensive midfield and then potentially looking at slightly two more attacking players in those other two central midfield roles. Maybe it's, it's Giroud up front, you know, to give us an option to play long if needed and Pulisic playing on the wing, sort of, you know, going in behind. If, if we have the full complement of players and we're fit, I think actually now, you know, Lampard has, imp- every time that we've played a team, I think Lampard has improved against them. I think the first game against Liverpool is the one we played in the FA Cup, big improvement. First game against City, second game, big improvement. So I'm hoping that now we've played them three times and this is the fourth time. Lampard will realise that actually he needs to get that blend of attack and defence in midfield correct. Too many sort of defensive players to try and control the game. I don't think we create enough chances against them to score. And as we've seen against us, they seem to have this very, very clinical edge, whether it's Marcus Rashford scoring a world, worldy free kick from 40 yards out or some of the other, some of the other goals they've scored. So 
it's about finding the, the balance for me. But I, I kind of would, would say that at full strength with the full complement of players, I actually think that we're in, we're in with a pretty good shout. You know, we can we can counter them with with the players and pace that we have. With Pulisic, we can play long to Giroud if needs be. Um, maybe it's again, it's a question of mounting midfield with potentially Kovacic to balance it out a little bit. Maybe we're more solid with Kante playing in the in the defensive midfield role. Um, but it's going to be an interesting one because I, I think so far that it's fair to say that Solskjaer has been Lampard's kind of Achilles heel in terms of sort of figuring out what they're going to do. And, and they, they are basically a team who parks the bus with a lot better quality players. So for me, that, that's going to be the, the difficult thing in, in how we break them down. One or two goals early on, I think, that changes the complexion of the game. But just as long as they can, or the longer that they can sit back for and counter, um, especially with, with Popper and Fernandes playing pretty well, um, whoever they've got up front, it's Marshall or, or Rashford or whoever it may be. Um, they're, they're always going to be dangerous in the latter stages of the game. So we have to take our chances early mm. and hopefully control it from there on out. Let's let's hope Phil Jones is playing. That's all I can say. <laughs> all right. Uh, time for Jonathan to go for a wee and have a cup of tea. Um, but before we do that, of course, a uh, quick plug for uh, Ye Olde Chelsea Special, which is a, a real labour of love of mine. Sadly, we've had to kind of stop doing any more interviews because, of course, we've got all this bloody, you know, social distancing malarkey going on. Um, so, you know, what can I say? But there are, there is at least a 10 of them, I think, up there now. And they're basically interviews with lots of the ex-players that I'm lucky enough to know. Uh, and me and Martin King, who wrote uh, Hooli Fan, amongst other wonderful books, including Aussie's uh, autobiography, actually. We've interviewed Carrie Dixon, Bobby Tambling, Chopper Harris, Tommy Baldwin, Johnny Boyle, John Bumpstead, Gary Chivers, Colin Pates and Paul Cannaville and Danny Harkins as well. So we've had a, a really good uh, bunch of interviewees. They're easy to find, chelseaspecial.podbean.com. They're £2.99 each, which is to cover the cost of production. Uh, we've paid all the players you know, a decent amount of wedge to do these. Uh, and you just go to podbean.com, subscribe to chelseaspecial.podbean.com and then you go to our page and they're all kind of listed on the homepage. Just scroll down there, whichever one you want, and you click on buy single episode now. It takes you to the paywall and pay your money. Off you jolly well go. Um, we've also got a website, chelseaspecial.com, and we're on Twitter at Chelsea underscore special. So give us a follow there. And we're on Facebook too. So there you go. Now, uh, we're going to have a quick uh, lemon break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about the uh, the Man City game from last week, which, of course, was great fun. That, that, sadly, would have been a fantastic match to have been at, I think. And I feel a bit sad that we were denied that opportunity. But hey-ho, we still won, and that's all that matters. We'll be talking all about that after the break. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Chidge. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft. Inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> It's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match, 
and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow, great. Uh, but yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Footballfancast.com. Right, welcome back to the uh, Chelsea Fancast. It's me, Stanford Chidge, tonight with uh, Jonathan Kidd. Hello. Clayton Beerman. Hello. And Mr. Joe Tweeds. Hello. There you go. Very strange, <laughs> you know, whatever you call it. Anyway, uh, good to be back. Uh, lots of uh, people from Mixer in with us tonight. Talking Mixler, actually, haven't heard from the lovely Bonnie Rig Blues or seen him in Mixler recently. So, uh, mate, if you're listening to the show, get in touch with me. Let me know how you are. I hope you're all right up in, uh, I think it's Edinburgh, isn't it, his base? But uh, Bonnie Rig Blues, we miss you, man. Get in touch. We'd like to know how you are. Uh, all right. Now, um, Man City, uh, Chelsea, last last week really wonderful tense proper football match you know even even with the current situation we find ourselves in even though i hate watching football on tv particularly when chelsea are at home because i always you know would usually be there even with all of that it was just a gripping football match and i was i was doing my nuts my nails were chewed down to the quick by the end of it it was Really, really great fun. But I think the, the the most important thing, Jonathan, the first and most important thing, I think, the biggest and the most important win of the season for us, uh, we needed a big scalp this season. Frank needed a big scalp this season. And I do believe in doing that, he got one. But also, we just played so excellently. The fluidity of the passing was was joyous. It was, um, it was top-notch. And uh, you actually thought, oh, these players... They can deliver. And I felt you have to be so careful against City, of course, because if you do give the ball away, they can punish you. Just one simple mistake in your own half, giving the ball away, and they're, they're, they're on you because he does that thing of, um, of hunting in packs. It's, it, it always makes them terribly vulnerable to the ball being, being punted forwards. And I think that was something that Frank was very uh, keen to try and um, get the team to do. I'm not suggesting it's kick and rush. It's just looking for an opportunity to stretch them at the back. And uh, I felt that that was, we were very up for that, that move in particular. Um, excuse me, but I was just, um, I, I, I just was, uh, was uh, all the notes I made about it was, um, um, uh, I've made the note, they can't play against teams that defend Chelsea in comparison with the Villa game. And it was the, the fact that they, there was a period, particularly the first 20 minutes where um they they just had to keep very solid and they did they did they played very compactly and uh, um, 
I didn't feel we were suffering from the same, making the same errors that we have made repeatedly in the season, which is not dealing with crosses. Having said that, though, there was a big cross that came in, another another um, swept in cross, which I think we were very lucky not to for them to score. Um, uh, I've got, um, and then of course the what my one of my my to, to throw a negative on it. Um, uh, in the same with the Leicester game, we we don't seem to do very well in the last 10 minutes of any game. And once again, ye uh, uh, yesterday, we had all the, the problems of them attacking uh, fervently for, for 10 minutes. And we just seem to sit back and boot them. That's when we obviously have the four on two opportunities. But similarly, we did the same thing again in the City game. And so my heart is always in my mouth. And it would be nice always for these games possibly to be put to bed. Well, I think, um, I think there's, there's, a, there's a reason for that. Although I do, I do accept your point. You know, and we have we have had plenty of matches where we've been under the cosh. But I think what pleased me most about this match, and why, why I'm sitting here saying, you know, it, it was, you know, the pressure was on us to to stay in the top four. Clearly, we, if we'd have lost that match, we would have been behind both Wolves and United, both of whom would have played before we play West Ham on Wednesday. So we would have possibly gone down to uh, seventh. No, sixth. So there was a huge amount of pressure on us to win that match against Man City, who you would have thought would have been stretching every sinew to win that, given that the title would have gone to Liverpool that night. I mean, I know that they were going to win it anyway, but you would have thought that would have been a, a bit of extra motivation for them. You know, this is a very good side, even though they're miles behind Liverpool. You know, we've lost, we've got lost to United twice. We've lost to Liverpool three times, although we've given them a game. We lost to City in the uh, the away match, although we gave them a good game. Um, I don't think beating Arsenal home and away is a massive scalp anymore. I really don't. Um, and we beat Tottenham away, which I, I don't think I don't think even beating Tottenham's a huge scalp at the moment, given where they are. So we needed to really, I think, for this team to grow up and for people to sit up and take notice. Of Frank Lampard in particular, I think we really needed to win that. And I and and what I was most pleased about was actually I think this was very much down to Lampard, because I think even though he you know excuse the expression pulled off uh, a couple of players and put another couple on, which I think also helped to change the game, I thought the way he set the team up was really good. You know he set them up to be solid. He set them up not to give the ball away. He basically sat them back, allowing. Not that you have much choice against it, allowing them some possession, and he knew he could hurt them on the break, and that's exactly what we did. And in the second half, he changed it, and I felt that we we should have perhaps scored more than the the second goal that we did. And then when they got Fernandino sent off, I thought there was only really going to be one winner, although we had the usual typical shithouser in defence from Chelsea, and it scared the hell out of me. But I felt we were really good value for that win. And I think a lot of that was down to Lampard's tactics on the night. And it, it tells me that this is a, a young man who is learning very fast and becoming a very good manager, Clayton. Yeah, no, I can't disagree with anything you said. I thought, I thought we did play well. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't want to detract from us, but I'm not sure City were um, giving every sinews. I think they, they knew that the, 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 the league had gone. But to be fair, you know, um, Raheem Sterling hits the post and then, you know, that could have been 2-1 to them. Um, I thought we played really well. And I, I just think it's, it's 
we said at the beginning of the season, this is all about building this season, you know, and, and to, to sort of be in fourth place now, five point, we're not five points clear on because Wolves won. Semi-final with a, hand, cup, with a game in hand. Just, you know, I, th- I think what he's doing is, is massively underrated. I really do. I don't think he's got the credit. I, I saw that shitty article. I didn't actually read it by the Liverpool fan saying, why isn't Lampard getting more stick? Well, getting more stick for what? What's he done wrong? I mean, you know, we, we've, we've lost a few games that we should have won. But to be where we are, having lost our arguably our best player, I think he's phenomenal. And, and I, I think that, I mean, I'm going to say this now. I'm going to have my rant. I'm going to say, you know, I would, I would like to watch that game again. Um, with the commentary with off. The di- with, with the commentary off or different commentators. Because what different I com- and, different and the rest of the country had to suffer that night. Do you know what pisses me off more than anything else? I don't actually understand how the broadcasters can read the nation so badly. There is nobody, but nobody, that likes Liverpool, apart from Liverpool fans. You know, that, that, that Thursday night coverage was just appalling, just absolutely appalling. I mean, I was just getting... I, I, you know, we, we won a really important game and I was seething at the end. I was so angry and that, that's probably down to me for being an arse. But, you know. but the bottom line is, going back to the performance, I thought we all played well and I just want to, um, I want to sort of big up Kepa because I thought Kepa made a couple of fantastic saves um, on the night and I thought he played really well. Um, and again, BT were just flippant about him. Uh, he made an error in the first half in his distribution um and okay that wasn't brilliant but when edison did exactly the same thing in the second half perhaps even worse they said oh he's done a kepper excuse me that's just i mean wasn't it yeah well i don't know what it was but 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 it was a joke it's an absolute joke and i think it detracted from how well we did there was obviously no analysis afterwards i turned it off straight away afterwards no 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 the, the minute Kenny Zalglish appeared in, in, a, in a scarf 15 times the size of his head, I just turned it off. It was just appalling. And that's Chelsea Fancast. I apologise for the rant. No, but no, no, I, mate. I, I, I think you're 100% right. I think Frank was, was spot on his game. You know I, know, I know that you basically said that, you know, beating Tottenham's not what it was, and I agree. But he, he's done the double over Jose. You know, he's played Jose twice and he's outmanaged him, managed him twice. Um, yeah, I mean, he, he's he's coming on leaps and bounds. And uh, as you said, and you know, the, the substitutions that he made yesterday proved he wants to win. He's a winner. And that, that is our biggest weapon, is the fact that he's in charge and he's a winner. Mm. He knows how to win. Um, thank you for agreeing with me obviously but uh, no but I I just want to embellish I knew you were going to tee off about BT and I really embrace it I I wrote an article on Friday for for Ollie on on, on Football London which annoyingly hasn't gone up yet Um, when I read you this right I'm giving you a real sneak preview here uh, largely because it might not get published and I'm wondering if it might be something to do with what I wrote um 
it would have the c word anyway. no i didn't use the c word at all although oh. i was i felt i did use the c word but not in the context that you would understand it uh anyway i'm going to read you this out it would have been interesting to hear Frank Lampard's comments after the match on BT Sport and perhaps an analysis of the situation outlined above. But alas, we heard nothing. Apparently, the only significance in this match between Chelsea and Manchester City, fourth and second in the Premier League, was that it would hand Liverpool the title, provided Chelsea beat City, of course. I know this because the Chuckle Brothers, BT Sport commentary team of Darren Fletcher and Steve McManaman, told me at least 723 times over the 96 minutes of the match. Um, <clears throat> I worked in the film and TV industry for around 25 years. And while I wasn't producing the coverage of sports events uh, per se, and therefore was allowed, the, was allowed the luxury of biased editorial, I have to say that I have never seen such disgracefully skewed coverage of a football match in my life. Yes... We knew that if Chelsea beat City, then Liverpool would win the title. Yes, we knew that Liverpool have not won the title for 30 years. But Leicester had never won it either, and I don't recall this amount of saccharine hyperbole when, ironically, Chelsea handed them the title by beating Spurs a couple of seasons back. Fletcher, McManaman, and more to the point, their producers should be ashamed of themselves. This was not impartial sports broadcasting. It sounded like some brainwashed cult members commentating on North Korean President Kim Jong-un's back garden table tennis match. <laughs> the stupidity and complete lack of self-awareness in disrespecting the supporters of Chelsea and City, who had to listen to this drivel, is exacerbated by the fact that there are supporters of 91 other clubs who are not in the least interested about whether or not Liverpool would win the title. And don't get me started on the gurning Zoom wall of Liverpool fans shown celebrating Chelsea's goals rather than Chelsea fans shown celebrating their team's goals, or the endless interviews with Kenny Dalgleish, Virgil van Dijk, Jurgen Klopp, Jordan Henderson, Jimmy Tarbuck, Margie Clark, Derek Hatton, Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr. Brackets. I may have lied about the last four. <laughs> no, it's brilliant, Chidge. It's just... I, I, I... I can't. I wonder why that hasn't been published. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm wondering, Joe. I mean, I can't. I can't see anything. I can't see anything silently. wrong with that. I did say to Ollie, if there's anything libelous in there, let me know. I don't think there's anything libelous well, in that fact. It might have been easier for him to tell you what wasn't libelous. I don't think there's anything libelous in that at all. No, I mean it. It was just. It was beyond belief. And as I say, I, I don't know how. And it's not just them. I mean. Henry Winter, who I love and I think is well, Henry's a Liverpool well, journalist. He's a Liverpool. I know fan. he's a Liverpool fan, but even his report of the Man City game, the first page of or, or whatever it is these days when you read it on iPad, Four was columns. all about Liverpool. It was all about Liverpool. It was and absolutely I, and, and bizarre. I, and I, I love Henry Winter. I think yeah. he's he's outstanding. He shows so much empathy and compassion. But for even him to go off on that that mad. Just oh, awful. We yeah. expected this, though, didn't we? Though clearly, it we wasn't a surprise. Happen, yeah. We knew that we've we've said this beginning of the season. If Liverpool happened to win the title, there'd be a complete love fest because nearly I, every I, every pundit is is either United or Liverpool. All right. So, yeah. No, I I think that's a hundred percent correct. But I don't think anybody have could could have anticipated that that Thursday night. Videos, which, yeah. I, I love the fact that they said that. I mean, they, they ought to be ashamed of themselves. They should be. They really should, because 
you know, you expect better. It's supposed, to, you know, there is supposed to be some impartiality there. Anyway, enough, enough, enough. They missed, they missed Kovacic's substitution. They completely. did. I know. I know. <laughs> it was yeah. so. They were talking about back to the Zoom. Listen, I want to speak to Joe and hear what he has to say about the game. Joe, you kind of round it all up for us. You've heard what we've had to say in my questions. Where, where do you sit on the City game and and Frank Lampard and the importance of that win? I think. I think the the most important thing for me from that game was that. You know, we've we've often, I think, gone into some of these bigger games and been a little bit naive in terms of how we've tried to play. You know, I think earlier in the season, some of our games were kind of slightly more resembling a basketball kind of end-to-end, back-to-front. So this was the first game, certainly when looking in the context of the Bayern Munich performance and how we were, we played against those guys. Um, I think this was the first performance against a really, really top team that we've got in with a really disciplined and structured kind of way in terms of how we set up. I think the Kante move was was obviously a very deliberate one to play someone who is infinitely more defensive than any of the other options that we can play there. But it, it was one of those games, I think the first 20 minutes was was a bit tetchy. Um, you know, we can kind of see, obviously, City's got an immense amount of quality. But to limit them to just two shots on target for the entire game is, is probably about as well as we've done against them in a very, very long you know time. And it took, again, an absolutely phenomenal strike from Kevin De Bruyne to, to sort of level the, the playing field as well. So... Yeah, I, I just think overall the, the direction that Lampard's going in, the fact that he seems to be learning kind of very quickly as we go along through the season is is really important to me. Um, yeah, the sort of the discipline performance. And I think actually as well, you know, we had, I think, six six um, shots on target to City's two. You know, and I think, again, you know, you, you think back to, I think Mason Mount had a good chance. Obviously, Pulisic was unlucky when he rounded the goalie. I don't. I think he was a little bit off balance, and I don't think he could really do much more than he well, he'd did. He'd been fouled. Fernandinho fouled yeah, him on the edge. Exactly. Of the, and, and yeah. If he'd gone down, I think Fernandinho might have been off. Because yeah. uh, whether somebody had come around the back, I hadn't seen it, but he did wonderfully well. I, I sorry to interrupt you, Joe. I thought Pulisic was wonderful. The yeah, goal yeah. was wonderful. Yeah. Absolutely superb change of pace. It wasn't as if he just ran. He didn't do a John Spencer and just run. He he he. <laughs> He stopped and then Mendy made a challenge and he just scooted past him. And the, the change the, of pace, the, the ability, change of pace, wonderful. And the ability then just to, to hold his line and just place him to the corner was brilliant. World class. What a goal. Yeah. The, oh, wow. the, the, the two touches he took, the one to set Mendy up with sort of the slowing yeah. change of pace and the dink over. But then the next touch, the touch he took was incredible. One touch completely opened up the goal. Yeah. And as you say, I think his, his finishing just it just reminds me so much of Pedro, that bottom corner finish that we've seen Pedro do so many times for Chelsea and Barcelona. But uh, yeah, and I think by the end of the game, certainly when when we got the uh, the penalty, I mean, we, we probably should have scored in that instance anyway. I mean, it was a bit sort of carry on in, in the sort of City right. goal. But you know, I think when Williams scored, I think we were definitely good value. Um, but it was also, it was nice to see us just hang on again in the end. You know, I think often we've, We've kind of crumbled a little bit in the latter stages of some of these games. So to see us actually see out a game, and I think probably ending up with, with disagreeing with Chidge, I think this probably is, you know, at the moment Lampard's signature win. And I actually kind of looking back to the Bayern Munich game, I wish we might have tried something similar in terms of setup. You know, tried not to go so toe to toe with them in, in terms of trying to how, how we played against them, rather be a little bit more, a bit more compact, a little bit more defensive. Um, and, and then obviously be able to hit them on the on the counter with the pace that we had. But yeah, Pulisic, fantastic performance overall, great goal. Um, I think William had a really, really strong game as well, considering that, you know, all of the rumours that he's off at the end of the season to put in that kind of performance um, was was really, really top. And I think the defence and probably, you know, Christensen as well, but as for Laqueta, were, were both sensational. So, yeah, really, really strong performance. I thought the uh, the referee's inability to see that uh, Fernandinho had, uh, had, had 
punch the ball, punch the ball was was absolutely useless. No, no. Yeah. Where he was standing, his face when it went to VAR was one of the funniest things you could see. Just he was sort of looking at the corner. He was like, he know he did like really clearly known that he'd handballed it, and he was sort of like appealing. But yeah, when he when he got shown the red card, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, it was. he was a, he was like a guilty schoolboy. Yeah. <laughs> it was a kind of I'm about to be found out, but I hope I'm not. Oh, I have. Yeah. But but the fact it went on and on, I thought they're not gonna they're not gonna find that he didn't punch it. We can all see it for goodness. It took five sake. seconds on a replay to see that it was uh, handball. Absolutely <laughs> breathtakingly stupid and incompetent. We we expect nothing less from our referees. Right. Uh, just a quick kind of five minute uh, look ahead to. Uh, the match on Wednesday. Bloody hell, they're coming thick and fast. It's hard to keep up with it at the moment. But we've got West Ham on uh, Wednesday. Uh, just to let you know, West Ham have uh, uh, got one win in their last five. That goes back before the restart, obviously. Uh, but if the, but if you... Since the restart, they've lost 2-0 to Spurs and 2-0 to Wolves. Chelsea, of course, we've won our last five matches. So we're on a roll. We're fourth. Obviously, West Ham are 17th. Uh, but the interesting thing is the last five matches between uh, between us, Chelsea have won one, 2-0 at home in 2019, lost two, 1-0 at home in 2019 and 1-0 away in 2017. And we've drawn two, 0-0 away in 2018 and 1-1 at home in 2018. Um, so the question I think I should really be asking of you lavely people, I'll start with you, Clayton. Um, are West Ham a bit of a bogey side for us? I mean, we know that they love to play like you know, 1970 Brazil every time we play them, but are they a bit of a bogey side? Yeah, without a shadow yeah. of a doubt. I don't know what it is. We we just can't beat them. I mean, I think I'm right in saying that when we played them at home, they were they hadn't won for ages, and we had some victories on the trot. They had David Martin in goal, who hadn't played for ever in a day. And hasn't and, played since. Yeah. No, I think he played for a couple of games afterwards. He got injured. And we, and we were shite. We were absolute shite that day. We, that, that was possibly one of our worst performances. Um, I don't know what it is. You know, I, I, should, I should be thinking easy three points. Absolutely no problem at all. But I'm not. I'm not thinking that. I think our biggest factor tomorrow will be that there'll be no crowd. I think that, you know, London Derby, they're always very hostile towards us. Uh, and I think that they're, I think that's the biggest thing in our favour. Um, they, they, they tend to be difficult opponents for us. And I absolutely do not know why. I mean, but, but if you talk, I mean, we're not talking about Tottenham, but, but Tottenham have the same thing. You know, when they play them, they, they have great difficulties in beating them. But I, I watched... Um, Spurs West Ham for my sins uh, last week and West Ham were just abysmal yeah. but Pablo Fornells missed an open goal and it was 1-0 yeah. Pablo Fornells will obviously turn into Ronaldo tomorrow night uh, or sorry on Wednesday um, I don't know I, we should win everything points to us winning but, but that's that's why we love football because nothing ever makes any sense and yes I think they're a bogey side. I really do. Mm. Uh, Joe, um, there's a bit of talk about Declan Rice, um, from possibly from Jonathan's favourite sources. Um, <laughs> given what we were saying earlier, why would we want Declan Rice? So I think that the context here for me is that Declan Rice has always, for me, been a centre-back. I can see Jonathan's face. So, yeah, Declan is... <laughs> it's not he's, a pretty sight, I know, yeah. I know. 
Chilwell. Well, he played. He didn't play very well. We did missed he? the chance. We're talking about we Declan just, Rice. Exactly, back in your it. box. Back in your yeah, box. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I think he, he's always been a centre back for me. Certainly, watching him in academy football, and I think he's just he's a centre back who has the capability of of playing in midfield. And I think that's where we've often seen him. So I think the, the quality for me, if you watch him, certainly the the game that he played recently as a centre half, his his ability to organise to keep the structure of the team the way that he actually commanded a back four, I can see why, and I'll, I'm going to put this in heavy air quotes, so Jonathan Lampard would be interested in him, um, potentially, because I think that he brings something to that defence, certainly as a guy who can play on the left side, someone who we know is obviously com- comfortable on the ball because he can play in midfield. But it just seems to be that vocally, the way he organises, I think he makes defending look easy, which for me was always a big thing with John Terry, was that he never really struggled. He didn't, he didn't look like it was a, it was a challenge for him. So, I could certainly see, and I think, you know, if West Ham do get relegated, then I think potentially that, that he's he's the centre-back that Chelsea would try and go and sign. But, you know, he seems to be someone who has the right skill set. He'd maybe want him to be a couple of inches taller. I think, again, that, you know, if he comes in, he is 6'1". Um, you could do with someone being a bit taller to help with crosses and, and aerial um, sort of defensive situations. But I think what he would bring is what we were talking about earlier with Rudiger and others. So I think he looks to be, certainly in the games I've seen him play, not just this season, but previously as a centre-back and sort of thinking back to watching him in academy games, he's very, very vocal, very, very clear in communicating, not only to the back four, but the holding midfielders, the midfielders ahead of him. He seems to be the guy that sets the structure. And I think that is something that Chelsea massively, massively lack and probably is one of the reasons why um, why that they are potentially looking at him. Yeah. So is there anybody anybody else in any other Premier League teams that Chelsea might be interested in? I've just because everybody's been talking about um going abroad, but I've I've you see these dogged displays from people in for, you know playing for Brighton and uh, yeah. Burnley and whatever and I always think well you know would one of them work well in a in a, 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 a in, at Stamford Bridge? I think that the two the two that would make sense and I think certainly one of them is slightly more short to midterm would probably be Tyrone Mings. If Bournemouth go down, just purely from a physical aspect, you know, he's six foot five, he's left-footed. I don't, you're not looking for him to be sort of this ball-playing kind of world-class leader, but if you put him next to someone like Christensen, for example, that could be sort of the, the balance you're looking for. Um, I, I think that the potential, yeah, I mean, there, there are a couple of guys at Brighton who, whose name escaped me at the moment that, that are fairly decent. Lewis, but Lewis Dunk. Dunk, yeah, Lewis that's the guy. Yeah. yeah, but uh, I think Mings is the interesting one just because I think the, the physicality that we lack, six five, you know, he's a big physical guy, great in the air. You know, I think also that he has some Chelsea connections. A.D. Mings, you know, this guy who's, who's been at Chelsea forever, um, would be an interesting one. But I think Rice, him, and then the, the guy at Lille that we got linked to in January, Gabriel, uh, Brazilian centre-half, is one that I really, really like. Um, you know, kind of a modern centre-half, but can defend is the way that I describe him. So those those are the three that at least, you know, we've been sort of probably linked to, um, I think would be, would be sort of interesting to see. But I, I don't think it's as big an issue sort of for maybe the next one or two seasons, if they can get a, uh, the sort of attack sorted and maybe the look at the, the holding midfield position as well. Yeah, all right, okay. We'll see it when it happens. I mean, I have to say, for my own TP worth, um, I, there are two reasons why I think it would be great to have Declan Rice. One, because he's Mason Mount's mate. Oh, yeah. And second, <laughs> Importantly. And second, because he looks like Liam Toomey. In fact, actually, that's the most important reason. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, man. It's a big bit of him. Well, look, have they ever been in the same room together, JK? In fact, have they ever been in the same stadium together? Oh, no wonder he was annoyed. Yeah, yeah. There you go. (laughs) Um, Anyway, moving on. uh, Clayton, um, we know Pulisic's got a bit of a knock. Uh, Who starts on Wednesday for you? 
Well, this is something that is interesting me at the moment is um, has Jorginho played his last game for the club? I find it quite interesting that in the two games he where... Was, he, was, he was suspended for the first he one. He was suspended for the first one, but he's been on the bench for the last two. Against Manchester City, Billy Gilmore came on instead of him. Um, and obviously, Kovacic came in instead of him uh, yesterday. So I think, I don't know. So I think the back four, I think if Christensen is fit, I think Christensen will come back in. Uh, and I think Alonso will come back in. Uh, in midfield, I think Kante and Kovacic will both start. I would imagine Mason Mount will come back up front. Um, I don't know what it's going to do between Tammy and Giroud. I thought Tammy was okay yesterday. I don't think he was anything particularly special in saying that. I don't think he got any help at all. Um, I don't know. I mean, if Pulisic is fit, obviously he'll play. He'll probably play William and it'll either be Giroud or Abraham. So I think it's it, it's quite interesting. I think, um, I mean, they're going to sit back. So going back to what you said or what Joe was saying about not playing Kovacic against teams that sit deep. I mean, you know, when I was watching the Tottenham West Ham game last week, I just had the greatest sympathy for anybody who's ever supported a team managed by David Moyes. I just cannot <laughs> understand that that guy has an affinity to going over the halfway line. He, he's got some fantastic attacking talent um, at that club and he doesn't play them. I mean... You know, not my problem, but I just think he will set up to defend. Um, so it's going to be one of those nights. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what he what he what he picks. But particularly bearing in mind what we said about the, the sitting back versus the coming at us, and I, I I think he might play Giroud. Actually, I'd like him to play Giroud because Giroud can I'm, hold the ball up and bring people in, and I think that's what's what it's going to take. He scores some great goals, Giroud, from strange angles. Yeah. He's to, He's a handful as well. I'm, I'm, I've become more and more of a fan. I of love him. Ollie. I love him. He's the most beautiful man on the planet with the best beard. I love the man. Um, if I was not heterosexual, I probably would. But um, moving swiftly along, uh, I, I think it might be interesting to see what he does in the field. I, I have a suspicion he might play uh, Mount and Barkley in that midfield with Kante, you know, given that we're going to have to open West Ham up and they're not probably going to come at us. But I think yeah, maybe. a lot will depend, I think, on whether Pulisic is fit or not, is what I would suggest. They'll, they'll, they'll defend, won't they? They'll do exactly what they did last yeah. day in the game at, um, at the bridge. Well, we shall see. What do you reckon, mate? You're going to stick your neck out and predict a score, JK? I think we'll win, I, I, despite my terrible misgivings. And yes, I agree completely with Clayton that they are a bogey side. And uh, and it's West Ham, and they will probably play completely differently. But I think we are we have the ability to play... Uh, really really well at the moment and uh with the right selection and um yeah i think we'll i think we'll win 3-1 mm. clayton 2-1 joe 2-0 i'll go 1-0 i'll go 1-0 so we're we'll... gonna win that we've all predicted a win oh yeah well i never you see this is the thing i mean i never <laughs> we can never ever predict i no, never ever predict no, a lot do I. I can't do it this is why i, I can't bet on chelsea because I, no, I never predict indeed. exactly I despite never... thinking we'll, we'll lose it doesn't matter I just, always you know, yeah, <laughs> absolutely always. always well let's hope we do i mean the reality is is i mean you know as i said this weird thing it's like a like a world cup competition this you know nine games 
which means you can afford to lose one and draw one. But if you want to win, and in our case, finish in the top four, you've got to win seven, I reckon. That's how it's going to work out. So, you know, we can't afford to slip up. Wolves are... Okay, we've got... Well, if we, you know, if we, if we win, um, win on Wednesday, then uh, we'll be... Uh, we'll be what? Five points ahead of Wolves. Uh, you, who have you? United have got. Uh, I think they've got Brighton. They've got Brighton. They got now, Bright- that, yeah, Brighton away. Uh, that might not be too easy because Brighton have been in really good form. So you know, there's a chance there they might slip up and get a draw. But you know, the pressure's on. We got to win every match. Really, it's really come down to that. Uh, if we want to get in that top four place. All will be revealed on Wednesday night, and I'm looking forward to it, as I always am. Right, after this very short break, uh, we've got loads of emails to read out. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea! Footballfancast.com Right, welcome back. This is the Chelsea Fancast with me, Stanford Chidge. Him over there, Mr. Jonathan Kidd. Yep, yep, yep. Him over in the other corner, Mr. Clayton Beerman. Yep, 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 also. And, the, uh, of course, the wonderfully uh, erudite Mr. Joe Tweeds. Yep, 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 the third time. <laughs> they're, they're, muck, they're mucking around tonight. They're, they're mucking around. It's good to see. May I say, Mr. Tweeds, you are on fire, as always. <laughs> on yeah. fire. Thank you, sir. There we go. Lovely stuff. Right, loads of emails to read out. We'll try and get through them as quickly as we can. The first one, Jonathan, is from young Christy Robinson. And Christy Robinson. I'm old Mr. Kidge. Good evening, Chidge. Oh, oh, Mr. JK. I feel like Roy North, Mr. JK. Mr. JK. (laughs) That's some basil brush. Anyway, um, good evening, Chidge. Mr. JK, an honoured and much-loved guest or guests. Or guests. It's Joe. Joe's the guest. With Clayton, yeah! Uh, I've been hearing a rather reading on Twitter. Many fans who claim football isn't back until they can go down to the pub and watch it with their mates, or be at the bridge itself. Yes, I completely understand the loss everyone must feel. But at the same time, I couldn't help but compare this attitude to the overseas fans who've introduced me to the sport. Yes, it's true. This is my first season as a Chelsea supporter uh, and of football itself. Well, welcome. My lovely friend Robin introduced me to the sport via our local club shout out to the dash and shortly thereafter i was so embraced by the local fan group that as i learned more about chelsea it became clear this was my club i remember robin stopping dead in the street to look me in the eye and say it doesn't have to be i don't know what sex robin is it doesn't have to be chelsea i don't want to pressure you because when you pick your club you might be different you might be it doesn't have to be chelsea I don't want to pressure you because when you pick your club, you can't go changing it. I assured her. <laughs> there we are. I assured her. I was right the first time. Um, it's that I don't want to pressure you because when you pick your club, <laughs> you can't Take change three. it. Take three. We're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting sake, there. Life's not rehearsal, mate. Get We're on getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> anyway, where was I? It doesn't. It doesn't have to be Chelsea. I don't want to pressure you because when you pick your club, you can't go changing it. Michael I assured Jackson. her. But could you stop interrupting? <laughs> I assured her I was and always have been ride or die and what a season it's been since. Whoop. 
Despite the various difficulties facing Chelsea as a club and then the unforeseen pandemic, the warmth and joy felt for this club by Robin and my other true blues has been an inspiration in finding joy, even distanced. This is very well written. Without the physical experience, it can be harder to create the culture and connection around a club. But here, the fans have managed it. And I'm so proud of them. May we all make this time mean something by learning just how good we've had it and didn't notice. Yeah, that's funny enough. That's exactly what I always seem to think. Um, today, four friends gathered at a local pub, the Blue Lion, and the owner allowed us to hang our Chelsea flag and declare it our home pub. That's very good. It's called the Blue Lion. That would make sense. We watched the game against Aston Villa, and it was almost a normal experience for us fans on this side of the Atlantic. There are many reasons this was an important match. The opportunity to gain three points while our rivals lost points this weekend. The return of RLC, Pulisic's goal after not being seen since January. For me, it was extra special to see Kante play. Since the beginning of the season, he's been dogged by injuries, and today I saw him more I saw him more himself, more like the videos of past seasons I've been watching. Robin has educated me via her, her own course of football education. We've termed it football uni. She has since added rugby uni and 80s music uni, where I watch old matches, documentaries and interviews. Of course, a... sorry, that was Clayton's trousers. Of course. <laughs> Getting another beer, Jonathan. He's settling in, mate. <laughs> Sounded as if it it pitching a tent. Did it? As if you shat yourself. There was suddenly this. <laughs> anyway, of course, a big part of that uni has been this podcast. Thank you very much indeed. I've been listening since my first Chelsea game and grown very fond of you all. Oh. While depending on your knowledge, this podcast saw me through my training for my first five k. Chidge. Maybe that maybe I get to listen to the podcast for the first time if I run yeah, a five k. Yeah, yeah, fantastic! The lockdown, and now you're along for the ride while I prepare for my first ten k. Wow. You see, aspirational chit. You could be doing this. I could. I hope that one day, not too far in the future, and with all this behind us, I can have the absolute mad experience of attending the bridge myself. And I hope to see you all there. I won't be in the posh seats, J.K. Well, but as an irrepressible American, I won't have any problem gate crashing long enough to say hello. Uh, Christy, it's not likely because the security staff will throw you out of the ground, but make an effort. That would be nice anyway. But I could always see you outside. Anyway, keep the blue flag flying high, Christy. Fab male. Brilliant, brilliant, Wouldn't brilliant. It? Yeah. Uh, the influence of Robin. Robin is this person who yeah. is clearly she's she's picking people up and just saying become a chelsea fan this is perfect we must we must speak to robin in some way get robin, robin get robin to write in get robin, yeah, get to, robin write to write in christy yeah, she, she sounds great fantastic she does, she does. my kind of kind woman of, yeah get the kind of girl i'd like to have met yeah, let me tell yeah. you wow. um, what, one, one other thing i would say to that um I mean, you know, I, I get what you're saying, Christy, but it's very upsetting when we're lucky enough to go week in, week out, and we, we do know how privileged we are to be able to do that. Um, and, that you know, when you do that, it does become more, more... It's more than just about the football. It's the whole day. So it's really upsetting not to be there. But one, one thing I, I mentioned a few weeks ago, which I think is quite interesting, is, in a sense... Um, you know, as we all know, there's been a bit of a doodah over the years about match-going fans versus non-match-going fans. 
you know, and a bit of a who's better than who kind of nonsense, none of which we have ever subscribed to on this show, as you know. But actually, in a weird sense, because none of us can go at the moment and we all have to watch it on TV, it's democratised the process. We're all in the same boat. You know, nobody's better than the other at the moment. We're all having the same experience. And I think that's quite a little interesting thing, don't you think, Joe? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously for me, for the past couple of years, it's less and less frequent that I get to uh, get mm. to Stamford Bridge. So I've certainly seen the the other side of the uh, of the, the social media debate, let's put it that way. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's it's uh, certainly, it's, for me, it's just strange not having fans in the stadium. It yeah. still is. I don't think I'm ever going to get used to seeing it and, and hearing the, the crowd noise. But I think, you know, for, for people that have maybe been sort of vocal about, you know, sort of match going fans versus the rest, I think this has given them some, some sort of unique perspective and context. I don't personally feel that my sort of fandom has has kind of waned since I've been, been in Denmark, for example. And I would sort of wager that certainly other people around the globe feel feel very similar. Um, you know, I, I, I kind of I had the same thing when, when we scored the penalty against Man City. I had the, the neighbour knocking on the door just to check that I was OK and I told them <laughs> that Chelsea was playing and they said, say no more and just carried on because they've, they've had it a few times since I've been here. So... Um, but yeah, I think it's 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 just an interesting situation that we all find ourselves in. But I think, as you say, I think it kind of it sort of put everyone in the same boat for a change. I think maybe you know if you hadn't appreciated it before, but now you can sort sort of appreciate it a little bit more. That uh, you know the experience is now sort of watching it via television rather than mm. sort of any other means. It's quite funny actually. Uh, you know, in the Leicester match, I think there were various moments when I I shouted very loudly for Mike Dean to fuck off. And uh, and my wife, who was in the kitchen, she kept on shouting back at me, no, I won't fuck off. And I said, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to Mike Dean. And it happened several times. She was being quite quite mischievous, but uh, very funny. Anyway, great uh, email, Christy. Got another great one here from Alex Davidson, our mate Alex. He's written in a few times. Dear Chidge, kiddo, and fellow members of the Chelsea Fancast High Table. I like that. I, I look forward to another email next week with the, the Chelsea Fancast Politburo, maybe. What do you think? I don't know. It looks good. Anyway, as you know, I live in the US, uh, where I'm sure you are aware that the shite uh, has been hitting the fan on a seemingly daily basis. Yes, that's a good point, actually. All our mates in America, for God's sake, stay well. It's absolutely awful over there with what's happening uh, so stay the, safe stay safe yeah stay safe yeah wear your masks guys don't touch anybody wash your hands stay inside man it's absolutely grim anyway so uh to be able to listen to the chelsea fancast twice a week and get a pleasant slice of home has been a welcome tonic plus you have discussed some very interesting higher level topics beyond just matters specific to chelsea have we i don't, <laughs> I don't remember that anyway um in we fact, my beard the other day. We discussed my moustache. Did we? He said higher level, Jonathan. Higher it's high level. up my face. It's yeah, up yeah, there. Very true. <laughs> In fact, I bet it would be well received if you devoted a segment each week to discuss one of those issues. Yeah, and then we'll do a five-hour show, Alex. Anyway, examples <laughs> examples of such issues might be. Oh my God, he's really going for it. How do we feel about racism among a certain segment in the stands? And what can we say we as fans do about it? How do we feel about the way Premier League clubs conducted themselves during the shutdown? Do we agree that the furloughs of non-playing employees was a disgrace? Or can it be fairly argued that if it was done out of financial necessity? How do we feel about the soul of our clubs today? Are they simply for-profit businesses now? 
is the notion that they're part of the community where they are located just a romantic fiction. If you were to scrap English football uh, and, and set, you know, set it up and start over again, what would that look like? What would the governing body be like? Would you have franchises like the American model or would you return to clubs actually being clubs and not PLCs? Or something else entirely. And how would players be recruited? Imagine everything about football could be overhauled. What would the Chelsea fancast brain trust like to see? Next, <clears throat> that I mean, if that wasn't enough, that's about that's about <laughs> my eyes are lighting up here. That's about eight eight special episodes we could all do. Uh, but that's not. There's more. Next, oh my god, this is where it goes downhill. I'm afraid. Sorry, chat. Next, we can have a weekly a weekly kiddo. Kiddo also, rant. We do have a weekly kiddo rant, Alex. What are you talking Clayton about? Rant today. We I did, didn't get actually. the opportunity. It was Clayton today, which may may I say, what a beautifully excellent rant it, it was. was. Well executed. Yeah, yeah, well executed. Um. So anyway, Alex says next, can we have a weekly kiddo rant? Uh, they would be brilliant and always hilarious. They they always are, Alex. Uh, it can be about whoever or whatever is triggering him that day. Uh, he's like one of those um, you know, Twitter memes you get, don't you? Triggered, you know. <laughs> JK triggered. And uh, a little picture of Ross Barkley underneath yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, or, no, I, I think he needs a Solomon Kalu. That's what gets him most triggered. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, he, he's the modern, the he's the modern Kalu for, for the younger generation, I think. That is a very oh, yeah, good comparison. Good. Yeah. I mean, as you know, John, Jonathan and, and Kalu have something in common that they've both bared their bottom on live TV. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, where were we? Yes, uh, this would be brilliant and always hilarious. It can be about whatever is triggering him that day. Ridiculous transfer speculation, Sky TV pundits, Boris Johnson, the price of butter, it doesn't matter. Once he has bit, has the bit between his teeth and on a subject he is compelling listening. Yay, I know he is. That's why we love him. Uh, last, I've attached a photo to reassure you that I'm as British as ever. It's me in front of the centrepiece of my art collection. Cheers. Al from Eastie, Boston, Massachusetts, USA. Um, <clears throat> what I will say is that I think we discuss all of these things quite naturally and organically, you know, during the shows, during the season. If there's a big issue around, we'll do it. But what I will also say, Alex, is that we, we do try and steer clear of politics, really, because, you know, it's about Chelsea. Um, we're all about the Chelsea and, you know, everybody's entitled to different opinions and views. And I think to go down that road... We would we would alienate as many people as we who would who would embrace it. So I don't I don't like getting into all that. But if it's about football and the state of football and Chelsea, for me, it's fair game on this show. Would that be fair enough, chaps? Definitely, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, kind of, sorry, Joe. No, I was just going to say. I mean, the only thing I was gonna, I was going to say is I think the way that the club have conducted themselves over the past couple of months, certainly compared to the likes of Tottenham and Liverpool with furloughing uh, and all this other yeah. stuff, should be commended. Definitely. Certainly, with uh, you know the the way that Abramovich is being treated by certain parts of the UK government, he's yeah. he's definitely gone above and beyond. But I say not not too political. But I don't think that he gets enough credit for what he's been uh, what he's been up to for the past couple of months. Here, 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 here Joe, absolutely. Because with Chelsea, we wouldn't get it. You know. Yeah, yeah, precisely, Jonathan. Yeah, Coolio. All right, mate. You got a monster email coming up here. Is it Oliver? Do you think or... <coughs> Arthur Oliver or Oliver? Oliver. Oliver, yeah. Oliver. Oliver. Yeah, he said his dad's Spanish. <laughs> okay. Hello, Stanford, Chid and JK. Thank you. And and Joe and Clayton. I wanted to get your opinion on something I've written about my experiences following Chelsea away. I welcome your candid view. 
is it self-indulgent nonsense or something that might interest other Chelsea fans? I guess my goal would be to have it published in CFC UK or similar. Or could you use some excerpts during the emails section of the Chelsea Fancast? Well, yeah. By way of background, my love affair with Chelsea started in 1970 when I was eight years old. I was born in London, Kingsbury to be precise. My dad is Spanish and a Real Madrid fan, but his second team was always Chelsea. We were living in Northwest too, in the shadow of Wembley Stadium when we played Dirty Leeds in 1970. I can't say I remember too much about the game, but we would have watched it on TV. However, some years later, I did buy the box set on VHS. We moved to Stansted, Essex, shortly afterwards. I always think my parents could have saved me a whole lot of money and time over the last 50 years if they'd stayed put in Wembley. My first ever Chelsea game was Saturday the 23rd of February 1974 at home to Queen's Park Rangers. Was that the 1-0 win, Chidge? What, what, what? For them? 74? Do you remember? Anyway, when I was oh, uh, when I was looking through my programmes, I know... Why are you asking Chidge? Because we, I think we did it, the, did it the other day. I think we've been through it. Oh, okay. Um, when I uh, um, when I was looking through my programs, I noticed it was unusually a two thirty kickoff. I really must find out why. I think you always remember your first football match, that Nick Hornby moment, if you like. Of course, an end to end three three draw, standing in the shed. Oh, that's what it was. Always helps sharpen the memory. That's right. As an impressionable twelve year old, I was completely hooked, but my dad less so. He only ever took me to one more game, a 2-0 loss to Dirty Leeds on the 18th of January 1975. There was a fair bit of crowd trouble, mainly at Fulham Broadway Tube Station, which clearly troubled him, and he didn't take me ever again. Given we were living in Essex by now, my parents weren't all that keen for me to head up to London for the games. It wasn't until my final couple of years at secondary school that I found a couple of like-minded Chelsea fans. I went to a pretty tough comprehensive school in Harlow, where Chelsea fans was rare as rocking horse shit. You were either Spuds or Arsenal, and there weren't even that many arse fans. Thank God for my dad's allegiances and the 1970 FA Cup final. Otherwise, Otherwise, my life would have been one of never-ending misery and ridicule. <laughs> the end of the 1976-77 season was really the start for me. I went with a couple of schoolmates to the Sheffield United game on the 30th of April 1977, a comfortable 4-0 win. Two weeks later, on my 15th birthday, May the 14th, 1977, I was there for that momentous final home game against Hull City, another 4-0 win. JK, please forgive me. I was one of the thousands that celebrated every single goal on that wonderful Stamford Bridge pitch. Yeah. And I was in the I was in the crowd going, Oh, please get off. Please, he'll abandon the game. Please, the referee will up. Oh, they've gone. The memory of that final pitch invasion at the end of the game will always be with me. As an aside, I had a minor celebrity, although I didn't know it at the time, on my shoulders at the end as we massed in front of the East Stand. He was a schoolmate by the name of Nick Kamen. Look him up if you like if you like, a famous laundrette ad. Didn't he do the jeans on act? Yeah, he did. Yeah, which was... Um, should I stay uh, or should I go? Or the, it was um, Benny King, wasn't nah. it? Yeah, it was Benny King. Hmm. Was it? I thought it was... I uh, put my blue jeans on. Uh, put no, my no, blue mate, that's the wrong decade, yeah. mate. Is it? Okay. Is that... What, 80s, is that? And and the wrong jeans. That was a Brutus <laughs> ad, mate. Jesus Christ. <laughs> You can edit that bit out, Jude. No, I leave that one. I could could put another (laughs) tent up. (laughs) I've got my own Glastonbury going at the moment. Get on with it, Clayton. Putting another, putting a tent up. I didn't (laughs) realise. 
<laughs> Not quite Charles Hawtrey asking how to put the pole up, though, is it? Anyway, where were we? One regret to I be, still. To be have. fair, J.K., you know Clayton's usually been pulled off by now. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> One regret I still have is not going to the Wolves game the week before the promotion decider. To have been part of the eight thousand visiting fans who weren't really there, it would have been something else. I've heard stories since from those who were, and I just wish I'd been there to experience it. It would have been a fitting debut to my away days following Chelsea. Chelsea's story post-1992 has continued to be an emotional roller coaster. I followed Chelsea home and away and had a season ticket for most of the 90s, up to and including 2004, when we moved to the US for my job. I still managed to get to some big games, including the 2007 FA Cup final against Manchester United. So I had the distinction of being at the last FA Cup final at Old Wembley against Villa and the first at New Wembley. I have to say, did it really take them seven years to build that pile of crap? The FA must have designed it deliberately to kill off any atmosphere as, one of them, as it's one of the most soulless stadiums I've ever been to. I think they're supposed to have a roof, weren't they? But they never didn't have enough money to finish the roof off. Uh, I've racked up 137 grounds so far. Not all Chelsea games, I'll admit. So football stadiums are close to my heart. And old Wembley was so much better. Let's pray we don't end up there for three or four seasons. It would kill our support. Although one of my more recent enjoyable visits was August 2017, when we beat Spurs with that very late Alonso goal. And what a goal it was. I was there too. Wow, brilliant. Um, I think the trouble with the old Wembley, of course, was that... Um, the lose were absolutely dreadful. It was sort of, it didn't really work on that level. Sight lines were good, but anyway. If there's one game I regret missing during my time away, it would be Bolton away in 2005. After all the years of hurt in the league, it would have been a very special moment to have been there. Alas, I was in Nevada Smith's Chelsea Central in New York back then, celebrating with the New York Blues. It's never the same on TV, with or without fans. Don't get me started on that one. When we returned to the UK in 2008, it was straight back into the matchday routine. But of course, I now regret giving up my season tickets. In the last couple of years, I've had to make a choice between going to home or away games. I can't afford both. Another illustration of how the Premier League has priced out the ordinary fan. Thankfully, the £30 away game price cap agreed by the clubs has stuck for now. No thanks to that creep Daniel Levy. And it's been a godsend. Which brings me back to why I felt compelled to write this article, if that's the right terminology. I'm reading The Mixer, which is the tactical story of the Premier League, not something that would normally appeal to me. It's a very good read, Plenty of Chelsea, and brilliantly written by Michael Cox. However, what I can't agree with with his view is his view on football before 1992. So that got me thinking I had to put the record straight, at least in my own mind. I would never swap my pre-92 Chelsea experiences for the now sanitised stadiums, odious money-grabbing players and agents and assorted hangers-on in the, in the self-serving game that football is today, where fans have been completely sold out. Ironically, it was Alex Ferguson who in 1992 described the Premier League as a piece of nonsense that would sell supporters down the river. How right he was. If this makes me an old git, then so be it. Without wishing to blow smoke up your 
The other catalyst for putting pen to paper is your brilliant series, 50 Years of Chelsea. I've loved every minute of it and can relate to so many of the stories behind the games. I've old football programmes all over the house right now as I piece together my top 10 away games. And I can't help but wallow in the nostalgia of it all. I've long since stopped buying football programmes as the prices, like everything else related to football, went through the roof. The premise of my top 10 away games is largely based on my experience of the day, not just the 90 minutes of football, which is largely forgotten by now anyway. In most cases for me, it's the first visit to a particular ground that is the most memorable. It was a bit like being asked to choose your favourite child. A couple of honourable mentions to away games that just missed my top 10. That very famous Arsenal game in 1984, so good they wrote a book about it possibly compete with Marco in the gang and the 4-4 Sheffield Wednesday Milk Cup replay in 1985. What an amazing game that was. The list is endless. How great that you were there. But in the end, I decided to pick these 10. I hope you enjoy the trip down memory lane and I look forward to hearing from you. Cheers, Arthur. Chid, where are the 10? Well, I mean, <coughs> top 10, I, I mean, I'm not going to read out what he writes about them, but um, I might actually... Alex, if you if you are up for it, I might put this up in our website because it's a really great piece of work. But Orient versus Chelsea, uh, FA Cup fifth round, nineteen seventy eight. Probably the wall fell down. J.K. Birmingham <laughs> City v Chelsea, twenty uh, third of September, nineteen seventy eight, one one. Flunky Dunky scored. That's I think his first goal for us. Swansea City v Chelsea, Division two, nineteen eighty. Uh, we might have talked about that last week. Uh, Cambridge United versus Chelsea, Division 2, September 1980, we, uh, we won 1-0. Watford v Chelsea, uh, Division 2, 1982. We'll be talking about that this week, uh, tomorrow or Thursday, whenever it is. Newcastle United uh, versus Chelsea, weirdly only 1-1. We normally beat them by about 4, 5 or 6. That was 10th of March 1984. Cardiff City versus Chelsea, uh, 1984. We're in Division 2 still, so that was the promotion season. Uh, Millwall v Chelsea, Milk Cup, second round, second leg. That was a, a match and a half. Right, uh, that was a 1-1 in October 1984. Grimsby Town versus Chelsea. That was the match where we got promoted in 84. Great one to have been at, uh, apart from the crush. Liverpool v Chelsea, 30th of November 1985. Uh, 1-1, Pat Nevin scored in the 88th minute. There you go. There's some great stuff there. As I said, I, I, I'm, I'd love to put that up on our on our website because I think that it was just brilliant, basically. So, well done, uh, Alex. What a great email, mate. Great Fabulous. email. Fabulous. I know. Okay, so, uh, and lovely that he likes the 50 years of Chelsea, which I know we do massively as well. So, thank you for your kind words on that. Right, Bryce Winchester, great name. Anybody called Winchester gets my vote. Uh, hi, Chidge, JK and guests. I'm writing this email immediately after the win against Man City as the performance and importance of this win has inspired me to share my feelings on this occasion. The match has to go down as a top three moment, if not the number one moment of Super Frank's managerial Chelsea career so far. Very much the point we were making earlier on. It rivals doing the double over Jose Spurs and seeing Billy Gilmore dominate the Liverpool midfield in the FA Cup. I especially enjoyed this match against City as a 5.15am start is actually very reasonable time to view a Premier League match from Sydney relative to the usual kickoff times of 1-3am. to 3 
The performance I just watched uh, at this early morning was a complete tactical masterclass by Frank and the most mature performance we have seen from this young Chelsea team to date. Frank and the team got nearly everything right from tactics and execution, despite Kyle Walker and Kevin De Bruyne trying their best to ruin the party with wonder goals and Ashley Cole-esque goal line clearances. I think every Chelsea player had amazing performances and I would especially like to highlight the performance of Andres Christensen who is notorious for getting a lot of stick from Chelsea fans, sometimes deserved, but had an outstanding performance against City. I think this Chelsea team has actually set up really well to go toe-to-toe with teams like City who have a plethora of diminutive technical attackers who lack a physical edge in contrast to teams like Aston Villa who are basically a bunch of hog carriers. Now, that was my words. Uh, where our defence seemed mismatched on a physical standpoint, which leads to giving away easy set-piece or cross goals. I could go on about how amazing this performance was and how important it is for Chelsea in terms of the rest of the season, but I would instead like to mention some of the things that annoyed me while watching this game. Firstly, it's very frustrating how ex-Chelsea players always seem to score against us. We should never expect clean sheets when they are involved in a game. That's quite true. Secondly, I know it's very rare and momentous moment that Liverpool actually managed to win the Premier League. Here's hoping it never happens again. But the amount of time the commentary team on the Australian broadcast talked about Liverpool was, was atrocious. They must have said Liverpool more times than Chelsea and City combined. Every single time we did something impressive, they talked about how the Liverpool fans would be reacting, without a single mention of the Chelsea fans. Even when we scored our goals, they kept on showing Liverpool fan reactions like this match meant nothing for Chelsea fans. I know Liverpool is the golden child of the media and broadcasting, but this has put a huge dampener on my mood for what is one of the best Chelsea performances this season. To end on a more humorous note, I recently got one of those fitness watches that tracks heart rate and other things. And during the very long six minutes of extra time, I got a notification on my watch to tell me my stress levels were high and I should try to relax. I really need to calibrate my watch to understand when Chelsea are playing, as this will be an inevitable scenario every time. Anyway, keep up the great work with the podcast. Keep the blue flag flying high. Your avid listener, Bryce Winchester. Brilliant email, Bryce. Really enjoyed that. And we said much the same, didn't we? Intriguing, isn't it? Even Australia, the Australian commentators were, uh, were talking about. <laughs> well, I, I may have, well, there may be the same commentary team. I, I don't know, but who can say? Uh, anyway, uh, nice to see somebody shares your view, uh, Clayton. Yes, I'm just taking myself off mute. Yeah, no, absolutely. He just echoed and, and he obviously had the same unfortunate uh, experience that we all had here. I would imagine they had the same pictures, which is why the Liverpool fans came up when we scored. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't know. Maybe the commentary, who knows? Yeah, uh, just, yeah. They'd have taken the same feed. Joe, uh, good to see somebody echoing our point about how important this was as a win for Chelsea as well. And uh, the really strange thing, and actually I've just copied it because I might send it to the uh, the fancast WhatsApp group, but the point about this, the high stress on the watch, I sent that to someone immediately after the game as well. So I was sitting there with my sort of Garmin fit thing midjig on and I noticed that I was on like 110 stress like as it was coming up to the final. I was like, I feel calm, but obviously my uh, my body was giving me away. So it's interesting that actually a lot of other people were, uh, were going through high stress for uh, for no reason. Yeah, I've just, but, got, uh, yeah. I've just got myself a, I just got myself a Garmin um, this weekend. So I too will be able to, uh, you know, check out my stress levels. Uh, <laughs> probably not a good I- idea. I had, um, I've got one of those Fitbits and I, I remember that when we beat Man U in the cup final a couple of years ago, 
I'd only had it a couple of weeks and I was like really was sort of, you know, so I was watching the, the heart rate thing. My heart rate in the last 10 minutes of that cup final just went up and up yes. and up. It is bonkers what it does to you, football. It's absolutely mental. I'm, I'm sort of standing there just thinking, oh my God. It's nearly we're always just a goal up. That's why. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's it's Chelsea, true. mate, isn't it? You know yeah. that anything can happen and it probably will. Right. I last. Think last e- my stress levels down by going, for fuck's sake, a lot at the television. I don't know. I think it's. I love it. I think it's an outlet. Anyway, uh, last email of the week from Pierre Frizel, JK. Uh, hi, Chijinko. Let me preface this email by saying thanks for everything you do on the fancast. I really enjoy tuning in every Monday night, as well as educating myself on our history. Being just 20, I know very little about what went on before the Abramovich glory years, so the 50 years of Chelsea has been extremely interesting for me. Good. I just wanted to write in to ponder what you make of Frank Lampard's tactics in the Man City match. This may be a controversial opinion, but I thought he got the selection completely wrong by starting Giroud instead of Tammy in this match. Giroud barely did anything except lumber about and get caught offside. And the best thing he did the whole time was, ironically, by not touching the ball and letting it run past him with a dummy. Yes, occasionally there were flashes of some decent one-touch play, but mostly he just seemed to hinder us by never giving us an outlet when we tried to break and counter-attack. To Frank's credit, he took him off and replaced him with Tammy pretty early on, as I think he could see that Tammy's speed would benefit the team. However, to be quite honest, we were lucky to be drawing with them at the point, and if they'd been on their game and our defence hadn't been so abnormally solid, we could have been trailing them by a few goals. On another note, Billy Bloody Gilmore, what a star in the making. Making You see him on the touchline waiting to come on. He looks like Pedro's son, who's come along to watch his dad play. Then straight after he comes on in the 90th minute, he pulls out a blinding, audacious pass up to Pedro on the wing. His dad. I honestly wouldn't mind seeing Jorginho sold to make space for Billy to become first choice starter. Thanks again for everything, Pierre. I think you may get your wish and that Giorgino might be sold, but I still don't think it would mean that Billy would start necessarily, depending as I think we've worked out what um, what opposition we're playing and how he sets the team up. But um, I, I thought that El Beardo had a decent game against um, against uh, Man City. What do you think, chaps? I thought he was um, well, Ollie. Thought he contributed a lot. Ollie, Ollie. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah I, I do. Although I think it's an interesting point. You know, we were talking about this earlier on, and. Um, you know, for, for for teams that we're going to like do a smash and grab on on a counter attack, actually, it makes sense also to have Tammy Abraham playing because, of course, you can just punt the ball up to him and he can chase it down. But I have to be honest, I'm a I, I, I like Oli Giroud and I he 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 adds a different dimension. He's brilliant at holding the ball up and he can bring other players in. You know, it's it's, it's almost like having something between a midfielder and a striker there. But I like him, Joe. What do you reckon, mate? I think one of the, the most underrated things to be able to do, certainly when you're playing teams who are as good on the ball as City, I was, and I think it was the thing that Azpilicueta was talking about in that video, was just playing long to Giroud. It's such an, a quick relief of pressure. And you know that he's probably, A, you know, either hold the ball up or get fouled. So to be able to hit him long, I think that that's the one area of Tammy's game that he really needs to improve on to take him to that sort of next level. It's just working on his strength and hold-up play. If you could get near... Giroud. I think Giroud's one of the best in the world that it's still even at this age holding the ball up. If he could get somewhere near that, then I think that would raise Tammy's game an absolutely massive amount. But uh, 
yeah, sometimes in these games against City, as you say, you, you can't spend a game trying to pass around or out past them or try and play perfect football. Sometimes it's a little, little bit like when we had Drogba as sort of the pressure relief against Barcelona. Yeah. Lock it up to him, you know, and then regroup and then push push the team up. So I think it was probably for me, Giroud was the right decision. Um, and it, it's something that I think Tammy needs to look at in his own game of, as how, how, how do I improve this or add this feature going forward? Because then that, I think, makes him the starting number nine. But at the moment, Giroud is he's adding far too much to the team that, that Tammy, not that he's not capable of, but the level that Giroud can do it is far better at the moment. Yeah. Uh, anything to add to that, Clayton? Uh, the only thing I would add to that in, in terms of the tactics and what have you and, and, and was the fact that against Manchester City, I mean, we're not the best of playing the ball out from the back and against Manchester City, certainly in the first half, we created so many problems for ourselves by trying to play out. So I think whilst you can't hoof it forward the whole time, um, I think that we, we should have been doing it a little bit earlier in the game. But, you know, we won the game, so the proof is in the whatever. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I think Giroud's great. And I, I, I the, the one thing that I think watching yesterday, Tammy can hold the ball up. But what he doesn't seem to be clever enough to do at the moment is to win those free kicks from the centre-half. Yeah. Centre-half, who's Joe pronounced brilliantly, who I thought was fantastic yesterday. Um, and Leicester got him for, for no money, didn't they? Yeah, so you um, yeah. Yeah, he, he basically, he had Tammy in his pocket and he was fouling him the whole time. But whereas Giroud is clever enough to get free kicks in at least half those situations, Tammy wasn't. So that's another thing that Tammy's just got to be a little bit more streetwise. Mm, good point. All right. Uh, no more emails. Um, we've got to go uh, because we've been on here for a long time. But anyway, if you want to send an email, as you know, get them in before Mondays. Um, ChelseaFanCast at gmail.com or uh, ping us a message on Twitter or uh, on Instagram or Facebook even, and you will get it read out. I guarantee you that. Right, that is, I'm afraid, all we've got time for this week. We will be back next Monday to look back at the well, both the West Ham and the Watford matches on Saturday, and uh, we'll also be looking ahead to the Crystal Palace match, and I will be joined by Jonathan Kidd and Dean Mears, and possibly, if I can extricate her out of a very busy schedule, maybe Alex Churchill, we'll see. Uh, before that, of course, we've got the next edition of 50 Years of Chelsea uh, and uh, Jonathan and I and Dan Silver will be looking back at the glorious season of 1981-82 and uh, losing 6-0 to Rotherham away and all that. Oh, the joy. It'll be so much fun. I'm really looking forward to it. Actually, I am, because it's just huge fun. I mean, all the lads, uh, Clayton and Jonathan certainly have both been on a couple of these and they are great fun to do. So don't don't forget to check that out. And of course, on Friday, another edition of My Chelsea will be uploaded. Uh, this week we've got Rick Glanville, Chelsea's official historian and prolific Chelsea author. And uh, he discussed with me how he became a Chelsea supporter, his favourite players and matches growing up, and his best and worst moments as a Chelsea fan. And trust me when I tell you, not only has he seen and been to a lot of these, unlike me, he can remember them. So this is well worth a listen. Uh, right, now, the Chelsea Fancast is available as a podcast on ChelseaFancast.com, Acast, Apple, SoundCloud and Spotify, as well as all sorts of other podcast distributors. Talking of which, uh, you can also find the Fancast on, uh, and all sorts of other Chelsea podcasts, I should add, on the CFC Blues app, as they so eloquently announce here. 
For Chelsea fans everywhere, this is the ultimate football app for you. For match highlights, interviews and the best Chelsea videos and podcasts. Download the free CFC Blues app now from the App Store and Google Play. And I know you love us. Uh, there are plenty of people who do because they, 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 donate, they donate money every, every month to Patreon. We've got a new one this week, which is lovely. I very much appreciated. Helps me to cover the cost of running the shows and all of that and hopefully keep producing them to the uh, superb and high quality, high table standard in fact that uh, you've come to know and love i think you know how else could you get the likes of people like clayton beerman on here uh making tents <laughs> you know making all, tents, all yeah. evening and joe being brilliant as always and jonathan being funnier than a funny person <laughs> i mean funny haha not funny peculiar obviously although looking at that face I'm, I'm not so sure so it's very very greatly appreciated <laughs> Um, we also intend someday to give you some premium content, but actually, you know, it's lovely that you do it just because we do this, which is fantastic. So if you want to show us some love, uh, patreon.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. All donations, small or large, are accepted gleefully. Um, and of course, it's another way to send me a message and get an email read out. So make sure you keep in touch with me on there. Right. You can follow the show on Twitter at Chelsea Fancast. Me at Stanford Chidge, Jonathan at Jonathan Kidd. And uh, Clayton at Goalie59, Joe at Joe Tweedy, and our other fan casters at Dean Mears, at Gate17Marco, at DanSil73, at Liam underscore Toomey, at CFCGWLB. Uh, and there you go. There's loads of us. Don't forget Chelsea Fancast as well, at Chelsea Fancast for Twitter and Instagram. Blimey, blokes. That's been a, it's been a long one, but a good one. Clayton, brilliant. You're now in the dark. When we started this, it was uh, midday and sunshine, wasn't it? I know, I know. We haven't got any change for the meter. Yeah. Had a fab time. Thank you very much indeed. Lovely yeah. to see you all. Lovely. Uh, lovely to speak with Joe and JK, as always. Good to see you too, mate. We'll see you very, very soon, I promise. Uh, Joe, um, absolute privilege as always having you on the show. Great getting your huge brain uh, on the case when we're talking about the football. And uh, as apart from that, always lovely to speak to you, really, mate. Yeah, same. It's uh, it's not felt the same without the old Monday catch-up. So, uh, yeah, glad to be back into some sort of sense of normality now. So, yeah, it's been good fun. Good, good stuff. We'll get you on again, I'm sure of that, very soon. And uh, last, but by no means least, the legend that is Stamford the Lion, also known as Jonathan Kidd. <laughs> oh, the, the ignominy. The ignominy. Ignominy, ignominy. They've all got it ignominy. The ignominy. thrown <laughs> out of the bridge. At half time. Oh, I know, I know. If you want to hear that, I think we were. It was on last week's 50 Years of Chelsea. Oh, we we gave yeah. Jonathan a full 40 minutes to tell his story about uh, Stanford. No. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I did it with love. All right, Jonathan, brilliant having you on the show as ever. Uh, look forward to speaking to you again on Thursday for our 50 Years of Chelsea. Until then, keep that. Good luck with your knee scan tomorrow, by the way, mate. Very much indeed. Of I think I've done my meniscus. <clears throat> yeah. Falling keep over. Keep your mask on, mate. Yeah. I'm going well, hey. I'm going yeah. to have to... Go in a hazmat suit. I'm contemplating yeah. several layers of everything. Yeah, and wash your hands a lot. Wear gloves. Wear gloves. Wash your hands a lot. Big, yeah, but definitely... I've got, I've got me... I've got me... Um, I've got me... Uh, me thing. What you yeah. call it? Yeah. I know. No, I do. Seriously, yeah. man. Take... No, seriously. No, seriously. I've got to be really careful. Yeah, take, take great care. I'm not getting, I'm, I'm, I'm not getting the, um, the tube or anything. No, no, no. Well, take care. We'll be thinking of you and uh, hopefully we'll see you again. Well, I'll be seeing you on Thursday, obviously, and of course next Monday. 
Brilliant. Okay, that's enough. Time to go home. Right. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Oh, by the way, of course, thank you, Mixler people, for uh, joining us this evening. You, as always, have been thank delightful. Thank you, Mixler people. Yeah, brilliant. I've been reading the comments. I haven't been reading them out, but there's some quality stuff, as always. Right. <clears throat> Thanks for listening. See you next time. Until then, keep it blue, keep it carefree, and keep it Chelsea. Up the oh, Chelsea! It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.